Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 156 of A Cinepunk. Cinepunks! How's it going, everybody? It's good to hear. <laughs> good to hear your voice again, Liam. Yeah, it's 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 so good to hear the audience breathing as we uh-huh. listen. You guys and don't commuting. know that we can hear you, right? We can hear you yeah. yelling at us. That's kind of how us. we roll out here, though. We don't tell people what we know, Liam. We no, never show true. all the cards. Never. You know what I'm saying? But uh, today we're joined by Pete from the In Search of Tracks podcast. What's Hello. up, Pete? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Pete, it's Pete. always weird when like we don't introduce people till after the <laughs> promo stuff because it's like then you just sit there and I got to pretend like you're not there. Uh, I mean, I'm, used, I'm used to it. I like it. Yeah, you guys Joey have a certain pretend. energy. You got to just keep doing that. You know, I think it's good. I think it works. We don't pretend because you know why? Because we're so real. Oh, we're real. The realist. Than real? Yeah. yeah. I don't know about all no. of that, but we're, we're damn real. Real, re- real recognizes real. <laughs> I did recognize it as reality okay. when you presented okay. it as such. So Pete, I recognize we, both of you as real. Just for I reason. appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Pete, we've had your co-host Bob on uh, previously, uh, if people uh, remember that episode, in which I could not stop talking about how the jail seated house party may be really uncomfortable. <laughs> But I just wanted people to know it's the only part of that movie I don't like because I love that movie. Um, but I just wanted to, I listen to the podcast. I love In Search of Tracks. I'll just put that out there. I love your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I noticed that as much as I like Bob, you, I think, are more knowledgeable when it comes to movies. And I, I hope Bob hears this and is offended at that thought. But it's true. <laughs> I, think you, I think you're more of a movie nerd. Am I wrong about that? See, that's funny because I don't even feel like I drop much music or uh, movie knowledge all that often, but I guess maybe I drop it here and there. I think, I mean, you got in touch with me, I think because I maybe dropped like a goblin reference. Yeah. That was, was that was one of the things. Yeah. Like like Vulture movies and things like that. So like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe that was it, but yeah, I mean, I, I like movies a lot. It's funny. I mean, Bob and I, I don't, I've known him for a very long time. I don't know that we've ever really gone down the, road of talking about a ton of movies um and i've actually never seen the movie house party so i think i have to catch up on that oh man i mean wait a minute wait which house party isn't that what the, we talked about with bob on the bob no no i'm just one? saying you've never seen any of the house any of them me? none of them no pajama jammy jam for you <laughs> <laughs> are you guys gonna kick me off this no, 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 yeah no, no. What? Stop wait it. oh Stop. liam oh sorry no just playing just yeah. playing man. come on man. um <laughs> So what I do have gaps in my in my knowledge, I should say. I don't know. Everything. No, I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, so for people who haven't heard the podcast, which I'm assuming there's probably like one or two, uh, what is what is In Search of Tracks about? I know you used to be the Jersey one and then yeah. it transitioned to In Search of Tracks. So talk about that. Yeah. So it started as a podcast called It Came From New Jersey. And the idea was just to focus on one album per week um, where we really just kind of deep dive it and talk through it and talk through the context of like when that record came out and how it was received and and then just give our kind of general review review of it. So it was really Jersey centric. Um, But 
after a little while, after about a year, we felt like we were leaving out obviously a ton of music that we could potentially be talking about and just wanted to make it more interesting. I think really for ourselves, if I'm being honest. Um, so we changed the name to in search of tracks and now it's more or less the same format. We talk about one album per week. Um, mostly at this point, the records that we choose to talk about are actually kind of picked by the listeners. So I, I usually put things out on Instagram, on social, let people vote on, you know, what band or what record we're going to talk about. And, uh, really just like deep dive it. I mean, the idea initially, I guess, was just to say like, you know, I feel like I talk to less and less people who really give like a full album the time that those things often deserve. Sure. Yeah. I think. Is that because of streaming? Is that because like just technology? I I mean, yeah, that's, that's totally a part of it. Right. Um, but like I grew up in an era, I'm old, Bob's old ish. Um, and you know, we grew up in a time where you listen to the full CD, you listen to the full record, whatever it is. And I just kind of wanted to try to find the magic in doing that sort of thing again. Cause I find myself going on Spotify and people are like, you know, check out this band and I'll listen to one song. And if it doesn't hit in that, like five seconds, I'm out. And I really don't like that. I really don't like that. I do that. So it's, it's, it's kind of a way of like, teaching ourselves to listen to music again. If that makes sense. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. You uh, get the ideas from the listeners. Cause I was wondering like the, you, you cover a lot of different things and there are some episodes that are to me, just all time. Great. Just listens. Like I loved the recent Kate Bush episode. I really love the David Bowie episode. Like there's just some great conversations, but it, it, you know, Going from the second Blitz record, right, <laughs> uh, to whatever, you know what I mean? Like, but you've also done, uh, um, you know, classic rock, grunge stuff, you know. Uh, but I did have a question for you as a listener. Um, did you regret doing uh, uh, the Mars Volta? Was there, was there some feeling <laughs> where you were like, I can't believe I threw this pearl before the swine that is Bob shed uh, so that he could, could, he could poop all over it. Oh no, man. I mean, that's actually the most fun. And that's why yeah, I, I, okay. I, that's I why I wanted that to true, do that. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Because I'm a huge Mars Walta fan and uh, he, I knew that he would hate every minute of it. And I remember after we recorded that episode, I was like, dude, you were, why were you so nice about it? Like, cause he said actually a lot of nice things. That. Yeah. And I wanted him to get, I wanted him to show his true colors, you know, but it's, oh, I mean, I will do it again. After listening to the episode, I texted him to like, sort of like, you know, poke, poke the bear a little bit. And, uh, the unkind things he said had to say, not just about them, but about at the drive-in, he, he had some strong opinions about at the (laughs) drive-in and about, you know, uh, their legitimacy and whatnot. And I was like, okay, (laughs) all right. We got some strong emotions. All right. Wow. All right. Yeah. 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 Very much. Maybe maybe I'll suggest like the reunion record next or something. (laughs) Yes. Well, one of the things I love about the show is how I kind of identify with both of you and then neither of you. So I kind of identify with Bob in that he has an affinity towards like punk and oi that I think you don't really have. Right. Like not at all. That's not really part of your thing, but I mean, punk. Yes. Oi, not as much. Yeah. 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 And, but you have more of an experience of things like Marsville, you know, that there was a point in the two thousands where you were listening to 
weird stuff adjacent to what people would consider hardcore and metalcore. Right. Sure. Like, and, and so sometimes you bring up stuff and I'm like, okay, Pete, I see. So I feel like kind of between the two poles, but then like occasionally you guys will cover something that to me is like, you guys have a lot more of a classic rock background and, yeah. you know, Josh will tell you that's, it's a, like another language to me. I don't yeah, understand. For both it's, of us, really, we kind of yeah. don't really know much about that as a genre. Interesting. Where that did is, you guys come in on like on music? Or did your parents listen to music or like how'd you, what was your entry point? Just generally, I guess. When I got my first tape player, my mom, my mom's way of relating to me was getting me um, a, a Bob Seeger tape, uh, a Motown greatest hits tape and a Rolling Stones Let It Bleed tape. All okay. three of which I was mostly uninterested in. And then she went and got me what I wanted, which was um, Public Enemy Fear of a Black Planet <laughs> and LL Cool J. Uh, and that's what I listened to. Uh, though eventually, uh, you know, there was a couple bangers on that Bob Seger album. I'm not going to lie. Dude, go back to that Exile <laughs> tape, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that's that Wait, was my So thing. hold on. Did she choose those because she liked them or she just was like, oh, these tapes look cool? Because uh, she liked them, she's a big. She okay. basically she basically likes Motown and the Rolling Stones, and then my okay. she likes some things now outside of that because of my stepdad. But he didn't really come into the picture till I was an adult. But he, well, they dated when I was a kid, and then they broke up, and then he came back later. So he's he is the reason that in fifth grade I heard the Violent Femmes. And Bunch. like te- technically, that was the beginning of me with punk was the Violent Femmes, and then we, we, one of his sons was really into the Ramones. Also related to our topic today, which we're about to say, uh, uh, I saw a Racerhead when I was ten. Look, wow! So there, yeah. there you go. Yeah, Liam started early with becoming a weird adult. Like all yeah. the seeds were laid before he was like twelve. Josh, what about so- you? What was your sort of intro to music where classic rock wasn't really there for you? Well, my dad emigrated to America to be a ballet dancer. So, you know, I was born after that. And he raised me on Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals that he loved. So my musical journey started with the Fantastics. And it started with Brigadoon. It started with a lot of Gene Kelly and a lot of like, uh, you know, Singing in the Rain. These kinds of Debbie, uh, what's her name? Um. Just a lot of like unsinkable Molly Brown, like that kind of like movie musical like language and a lot of like softer of like Paul Simon and stuff like that. Like that was what my dad liked. So I listened to a lot of it. And then that somehow led to like British music where I was a gigantic Morrissey fan for like most of like my life. You know what I mean? And then that that's how I got to hardcore because it was like, hey, man, like it was like Morrissey and the Smiths and like The Cure and then I found like a black train jack tape <laughs> and had no reward. And I was like, oh, wow. these guys are really fun. And then like, and then that was like the transition. And then, you know, it was right into New York hardcore after that. And then everything else, you know, so God, all but, of those connections are so different for yeah. me. That's very interesting. I like yeah, that. It's weird. So it's you guys, you too. guys know all about all kinds of music that I don't know anything about. Yeah. I, mean, I, I love well, that. But it's just funny. Like when, and also I, I think there's an, I don't actually know Pete how old you are, but I know with Bob, there's a bit of an age difference. He's younger than us. And so like, um, by the time I feel like by the time he was getting into punk, he was already pretty sold on like Pearl jam and, and, and some, Mm. and some like grunge stuff. Whereas like I had a brief taste of grunge and then, uh, you know, 
freshman year, this skidhead kid like threatened me and gave me a, <laughs> a, a, a Coxbar tape. It was like, listen to this hard F. And I was like, okay, whatever you say, man. Like, I mean, that's you know, not a bad threat though. You know? No. I mean, he was I, basically he was the it, it was it was like almost a full year of abuse. And then he made me some tapes. <laughs> it was really yeah. weird. It was a weird. It was just his way of showing that he wanted to be your friend and yeah, I guess have so. someone to listen to Cox Bar mm. together with. I mean, his other game that he did in that class, though, Pete, was he would burp into my face and have me guess what he drank before school. Incredible. Yeah, I like that game. Most, day, most, game. most days, the answer was cough syrup. Whoa. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know? It was fun. Uh, no, it was f- good good times for 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 little me, for little freshman <laughs> me. With my, I had like one of those uh, under shaves with my hair pulled back into a ponytail. Ooh, the alternative ponytail. <laughs> yeah, I love wear, it. wearing a Marvin the Martian shirt. Like I wasn't exactly so like all you know cool. Like I had like a Stone Temple Pilots tape, and I was like, yeah, I'm really getting into underground music. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, vintage vinyl shaped a lot of my musical taste. Also, sure, yeah. I mean, like, I, I was already, like, into hardcore by the time I got to to work in there and everything. But through Vintage Vinyl, I found bands like Neurosis. And I found, you know, bands like CR. And, um, you know, just all that stuff that was so beautiful at that time. And, like, a lot of the activist hardcore of that time was, like, always... Like, I was just talking about this with uh, Red Cheeks today. I was like, you know, a lot of the hardcore that I love is no longer anywhere to be found. There's no yeah, more Abolition true. Records. There's no more... You know, Sarah Kirsch is dead. Like, that fucking sucks. Yeah. And it's hard to find, like, where are you going to find, you know, it, like, I'll still go see Los Crudos. I'll still go see Limp Wrist, you know what I mean? Like, and these kinds of bands. But also, like, did you see the lineup for This Is Hardcore this year? Like, none of it resonates with me in any way that's meaningful like it used to. You know what I mean? So it's like this weird discussion now of, like, well, where does hardcore sit in your life? Yeah. And for me, I realized that it really doesn't, play out for me as much as it used to nor do i identify with a lot of it anymore you know what i mean like and and it it just gets worse as i get older you know what i mean just because like weird old bands that are legacy bands are just still weird and old and just older josh i understand what you're saying like you feel no, i like totally get it there's not a place for you right now and that can be kind of alienating um yeah but it- also uh, you're closer to 50 than you've ever been before. Yeah. So and like I keep on hitting that, that reality every single fucking day of my life. So I, but so for me, the thing I realized is like when I, I mean, when we get to whack on track, I'll talk about a hardcore show I went to where I felt a little bit like a useless old man, but also it's like, <laughs> well, that's probably good though. Right? Like if I go well, to a show and I'm like, wow, this feels really comfortable and, like, I really belong here, then that might be, like, a lame show. Like, that might be evidence that the show sucks. It's just, (laughs) and I'm not saying, like, and that's the thing, right? Like, do you remember when we were young and older hardcore dudes were, like, hated it, yeah. Dead guy sucks. You're like, dead guy does not suck, bro. You are so wrong. (laughs) And it's just, like, I get it now, you know what I mean? And I hate that I get it, but also I definitely remember going to shows where people told me that Ignite were bad. I'm like, wow, what's it like being old? Enjoy yeah. your Chromag show. To you be, know, to be fair, Ignite is bad. Though. Yeah, now I there's we have the the, Dude, the call power. Call my of brothers, I'll stand by. But they, you know, yeah. past our means. But after that, I don't. Oh, know. it's bad uh, stuff. It gets yeah. it gets rough. Yeah. It gets rough. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Let's yeah. transition. We got to transition here, Pete. Right, right, right. I mentioned one of the movies. You have picked two movies for us that. I feel like maybe you're trying to freak our bean a little <laughs> bit. You're trying to freak our bean. What yeah. are the two movies you picked and why? So I picked the movie Eraserhead, the first David Lynch movie, I believe, right? Um, and yeah. then 
The second movie is a documentary called Crumb about Robert Crumb and his uh, his family, really. Um, so the reason I picked them, um, you guys approached me about doing this episode and I thought it was such an exciting, fun idea. Um, and honestly, I, I just could not think of anything to do. So I think <laughs> I, I think I postponed this episode like three months as a result of that. But I remember, um, yeah. Uh, I thought about different horror movies I could do because I wanted to do two things that were somehow connected, right? I didn't want them to be entirely separate. And then I ultimately just landed on what are two movies that I, I really love that are connected in some way. So I landed on Eraserhead. And then I didn't even know this until I was kind of looking around um, at my blu-rays dvds my you know movies and all that stuff and then i was like oh david lynch presents crumb like david lynch produced this thing yeah yeah um i didn't even know that but then i was like there's the connection so honestly (laughs) that's the that's the connection here um but i think that there are probably other similarities that we can Uh, we can find between the two you think pete you think these are related let's see uh uh, an actual nightmare about family life and a documentary about a man who previously I thought was yeah. the freakiest man in the world. Turns out he's the one normal guy in his yeah, family. Yeah, he's the third freakiest Nor- of his normal family ish, brothers. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and crazy enough, uh, no one can put their finger on in the whole documentary after whatever that was, almost two hours, about what trauma happened in that family to fuck everyone up. You notice the movie ends yeah. and we never find out what we just find out that people. Charles kills himself. Yeah, yeah. it's fucked up. It's, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more when we do the discussion. But it's it's so funny because when you pick them, I thought, oh, these are just two random, somewhat edgy <laughs> movies. And then I watch them. And I'm like, these movies are like basically connected. It's yeah, like they're... it's like Eraserhead is all the anxieties of of starting a family, and yeah. Crumb is evidence of how the family could be the worst horror story ever. Right? Which, yeah. by the way, people who haven't seen Crumb probably don't know that's what it's about. You're just like, oh, I'm going to watch a movie about a horny old cartoonist. This will be great. And then uh, it starts that way. But, uh, oh, man, Ooh, it gets dark. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get it's there. It's fun, though. It is. <laughs> Isn't it fun? But <laughs> it starts very fun, actually. Okay. You know what? We'll get there. Uh, before we jump into all that, we want to thank some people. First of all, we, of course, want to thank all of our supporters on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. Uh, you know. There's some stuff going up there. I just recorded, actually, Josh, I'll tell you, because I think you'll be interested. I just recorded a test episode of something I want to do with Doug, where we uh, basically steal Pete's idea and talk about music. Uh, but uh, but uh, he's That was my original idea. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, well, I don't know anything about Doug's musical taste. Well, exactly. That's why I was curious about it. I was like, Doug, we talk about movies all the time. Let's do something in music. And we ended up talking about, I think you'll think this is funny. Uh, the Misfits Walk Among Us, mm. a record that uh, I have famously maligned just out of a general bias against the Misfits. And uh, I liked it. I actually was like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm way too hard on this band. Uh, <laughs> and Doug liked it even more than that. Now, did I still think there were there were things about it I didn't like? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I won't spoil any of that, except for I will say that, in my opinion, uh, the song Hate Breeders is a crime against punk rock. But other than that, I'll keep the rest wow. of my opinions to myself. It's too fucking long, Pete. Why is that song over three minutes? There's no reason for that many woes 
in anyone's song. But those woes are so wonderful in and of themselves. No, not not justified. In fact, the, the only reason that album has too many woes is that one song. Cut that song, and I think the album actually is is really good. has the perfect amount of woes. Yeah, I think so. Actually, also the uh, side note. I, I don't want to spoil too much of what me and Doug talked about, but one of the one of the things you read a lot is how the Misfits were not really a, a hardcore band considered hardcore really by anybody until Earth AD, and that was the song that was the album mm-hmm. where they went really fast and heavy, right? Only on yeah. Walk Among Us, the live version of "Mommy, Can I Go Out and Kill Tonight?" It's so good, it's a fucking hardcore. <laughs> that is a yeah. hardcore song. Period. End of discussion. Dude, is is it a hot take to say that that's the best song in that record? Uh, no. In fact, I think Doug might have ended up there. I forget. We, no, I think we both sort of uh, ended up sticking with. Um, oh, my brain just went away. Um, Martian. No, I love Martian too. That's one of the other songs I like. But no, later in the record. Uh, I'm sorry, it's gone. That's okay, Josh. You know this record. You're a Misfits I know fan. this record. I don't know. I, I all the songs sound the same. I mean, they're all yeah. It's, like, well, that's and the thing. Old. They, and I'm a Misfits fan. They all sound the same unless you really focus on it with an ear that you don't like the Misfits and you're trying to convince yourself that maybe you're wrong. And I was able to convince myself that I was wrong. Some of these songs are super catchy and there's one on there that's really catchy and in my brain can't remember what it is. doesn't matter. Skulls? Uh, mm. I do think Skulls is catchy. This is where... Here's Astro my thing. Zombies. It's Astro a- it's Zombies. It's Astro Zombies. You're right. It's Astro Zombies. <laughs> that's my favorite song on the record. But here's the thing with Skulls. I'm not saying Skulls is a bad song, but I think that um, there's a certain kind of Misfits fan that like thinks Skulls and some of the other like more darker songs are like the real badass Misfits songs, and that that bums me out a little bit. I just think there's like a there's a seed of kind of like the Edge Lord that would become Danzig in Skulls, and uh, <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the plant that will grow from that seed. This is sure. sacrilege to to Josh, by the way, Pete, because Josh loves dancing. I do. I love dancing too. I'm, I'm I I do not <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I realize my entire distaste for the Misfits is just because I don't like dancing, and I'm being so unfair, and not because it's <laughs> great music per se. Like I think it's, but it's pretty good. And I just really like when people love the Misfits, and I want to bum them out. I'm just like, oh, I love rapey pop punk too. It's really great, <laughs> and they see, get really see, mad at me. I, I mean, maybe I'm just talking about this because I, I actually think it's more fun to disagree with people about things than yeah, to agree with yeah, them. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will probably take the first Danzig record over any Misfits record. Well, easily the second Danzig record over any Misfits record and I mean, the first I'm, record. Well, yeah, second I mean, one too, probably, and me, uh, not the third, but I like the third. I'll go the as far good. as Danzig 4. I got, yeah. no, I got you guys, and I understand that. I will take Sam Hain over anything else Danzig has ever done. Interesting. Yeah, See, I like That's Sam Hain. I've tried so hard for so many years, and something about it I never go back to. Yeah, I never, I, I never tried it, it, it just because I was do it so. I never tried it because I was so bummed on Danzig, and I was like, you know, the the. I mean, I had some time for the Misfits, like when I first got into punk, but yeah, it got on my nerves pretty quick. And then when I heard Dan, you know, I knew Danzig like I knew the one song. I knew Mother, like everybody knows Mother. But then I heard the rest of it, and I'm like, this is just not my vibe, you know. <laughs> So then I thought, well, so you I'm out. don't like his Elvis covers album. Oh God, no, no, not at all. Interesting. <laughs> but I, okay, I will say though that like as much as I want to diss Danzig, and I do, and I and I kind of enjoy dissing him, I do think that like the terrible movies he's making, I kind of like that he's doing that. 
You know what I mean? It's like cool. I, I kind of yeah. like that he's making them happen, even though I don't care about them. It's like <laughs> cool. Like pursue your passion, and I think I respect what he's doing more than like your average like uh, Blumhouse horror movie. Like I right. think I think sure. his shitty movies are more interesting than like a lot of these big budget horror movies that are coming out. So good for him. Now I don't need to own Ver- Veronica on Blu-ray. I do, Dude. but I all don't I'm saying need is. To. When we watched that with him, because he was in in attendance and then yeah. did the Q and A yeah. after, he was like, "Well, I'm sure you could see elements of uh, Buñuel in my movie." <laughs> like, yo, dog. Like, and he's like, "Well, you know, another huge influence on me was uh, Ingmar Bergman." And like, all these dudes with fishnet shirts on were like, "Yay!" It's like, oh, lordy, lordy. Like, I don't even know where to start with this. It's a lot. It's I a mean, lot. Look, Josh, wow. I know you're invested. And having some of the most embarrassing heroes in the history of pop culture, but at it's some true. point, don't you find the reciprocal embarrassment like too much to carry? Uh, there's some day. I mean, I still have Morrissey tattoos that I'm removing, so you know how much worse can it get? Really, you got a shitty movie on your resume. Like, it's not the worst thing, right. honestly. But uh, I get it. I mean, it's I I I do love the fact that so our uh the, when Veronica came out, Pete, our friend yeah. Josh Goldblum was part of the team, like touring it around. Like he's been very involved with like getting Danzig's movies out there. And okay. so he had all these great stories about like going, going, trying to like go out with Danzig after yeah. these events. And they went to a fucking karaoke bar and <laughs> someone was singing mother at the karaoke bar and the look of utter horror on Danzig's yeah. face. And oh, then Danzig was like, so fuck good. this. And then turned around and made the whole entourage leave. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the whole party had to leave the bar because this guy yeah. was singing mother. Pretty good. It was a oh, woman, man. but yeah. No. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. You're right. Great story. Great okay. story. We, we we didn't even get through our thank no. yous yet. Hey, yeah. we also want to thank our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh, Josh, what do they do over there at the LVAC, not the Las Vegas Athletic Committee? Well, over at LVAC, they make screen printing things. <laughs> and then they print things for, say you have a chess club. And you need yeah. to you need to let the world know that you and your homies are, you know, you, you guys are like a chess club and you have a logo and a name, which I can't think of right now. Where are you going to go if you're in the valley and you need shirts or worldwide? You'd go to XLVACX.com and the good people over there will conjure the image onto a shirt for you and you'll be pleased. Yeah, like maybe <laughs> maybe you're in a Sam Hain inspired parody porn called November's Coming Fire. Then uh, you need a t-shirt. I don't get it. Event. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah. No, or maybe you're dancing and you're like, you know what? I need more t-shirts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I don't think Give he a wears printed tees, but maybe he does. Maybe <laughs> all of his shirts that look black, they actually just say dancing over and over again in black, and you just can't so tell. So sick. So black sick. Black. Though. So yeah. sick. Yeah. Blackest um, of the black. Dare I we say. also want to thank uh, our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, our buddy Aaron Dahlbeck, uh, you may know him from such bands as Converge and uh, Be oh, Well. Be Well, thank you. My brain just went, nope, you're not going to remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he's, uh, offers high-quality beans roasted to order for you mm. to have the freshest possible cup. Uh, yeah, coffee, tea, merch. Aaron's the best. We love him. We think they do good work over at Essex. When you go and you order your coffee or your tea or your uh, T-shirt, for that matter, uh, go ahead and enter the code CINEPUNK, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, to get 10% off your order. He's the best. We love him. Yeah. 
And finally, of course, we want to thank our man Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media. He is the one who edits these episodes, and he would love to do some media work for you, whether you need uh, podcast editing, audio editing of any kind, video editing, video recording, special effects work, green screen, uh, you need puppetry, you need whatever it is. He's got your media needs taken care of. So head over to mechanicalsharkmedia.com. Uh, or find him on social media. Check out the work they've been doing on that studio he's opening up. Yeah, it looks, it looks great. fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah. So cool. All right. That was a lot, Josh. It's a yeah, lot. Yeah, no. It's a and lot. And Sharky's the coolest person in Cinepunks. Let's be honest. Counting yeah. both of us. We love So him. I don't know what to say, man. Yeah. It's just what it he's, is. He's kind of the, the most important part of the thank yous. <laughs> okay. So we okay. did the thank yous, and we do something now. Pete, do you remember what is the thing that we do next? There's like a portion of the called. show that repeats 155 times before now. Yeah, but that uh, we've done. Uh, Whacking on track. Ah! Whacking on track. <laughs> I'm totally so glad it. I got that right. Hell yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love that I, for some reason, just responded like I was on Pee Wee's Playhouse and that was like the word of the day. <laughs> the word of the day. What a great game. <laughs> I love All right, it. Pete, would you like to go first, second, or third? I'd love to go third. I don't feel like I'm prepared for this. Okay, that's fine. Okay. Josh, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go first. I mean, we know do you it. saw Thor. You I know? did see Thor, but I have other <laughs> things too. But why don't you go first? Uh, so my big on track is that this is the week that Mr. Steve Evitz will be mixing the Cross Keys record. Whoa. So, um, yeah, it's like one of those things, man. Like, this whole record has been taking so long, like, two years of pandemic and I just had that huge writer's block going on. I couldn't get anything together and everybody was all set. And then it like came together in like a week, you know, and then Brian McTernan recorded all the vocals and he's like, guess what? Not charging you. Like I, what happens now? And then Steve Evans, who's mixed, you know, everyone from lifetime to the cure is doing our record and he's listening to me sing right now. And it's blowing my mind a little bit. You know what I mean? And it's just like, <laughs> I don't really know how to process any of this stuff. Like Justin Gray, friend of the show, who also did one of the first Sun Punk's t-shirts, he's doing all the artwork for it and the insert and all that stuff. And Red Cheeks took a bunch of pictures at our last show for it. And it's just, there's just so much stuff that's just like kind of coming together at one time in this weird moment of kismet that I'm not exactly comfortable with or prepared for. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I appreciate shit that, just yeah. goes wrong that's for great. so fucking long. You guys ever get that? Where you're just like, wow. Everything sucks. Like I got fired from my job. You know what I mean? Like everything I've literally was like never horrible. Felt that way. Good for you, kidding. man. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just saying though. And then like suddenly, the one thread that you pull just kind of draws everything together in that weird moment. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, just watching it all kind of fall into place. And um, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's very emotional for me. I don't know if you can tell. And it's that's amazing. it's just yeah. It's wild, right? Like, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Like, we're doing this? Like, I don't know. Cross Keys has already been, like, a crazy endeavor from the beginning, if we're being honest with each other, right? Like, it's just got a lot of everything that I've ever loved about music in one place. Like, and all my homies, you know? And um, not to toot my own horn, but I think I put my foot in this one. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure, it's yeah. a lot in this one. And um, it's also, like, the most honest I've ever been in terms of, like, just my writing and just songwriting and everything else. And, uh there's a weird moment of, of just freedom, you know, to know that everything's done and it's just like, like it's getting mixed now and then it gets mastered and then that's that. And then, you know, pressed and all the other things that happen when you do a record or whatever. And we got t-shirt. It's just a lot, man. It's just a lot. So that's way on track. Like I'm really proud of what we've done. 
I'm really proud that we managed to stick it out, even though like there were so many like roadblocks to getting where we're going. You know what I'm saying? Is this boring? I don't mean to no, be boring. No, 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 like, no. I, I think I, I about just, this shit all the time. So it's I like just, I've heard it. I just want to let you let you do your thing. I didn't want to interrupt, but I think I think when when things like that happen and like there's so many great positive things that happen at the same time, you just it's it's important and like you're doing it now. You take that moment and just be like, man this is awesome. Like this is yeah. a good moment, you know? So yeah, congrats, dude. That's awesome. It's, it's totally where I'm at right now. Like, like you, so Pete, you've done bands, right? Like those kamikaze records are amazing. And Thank do you, you ever just get those moments where you're just like, man, I really wish that I lived in that minute for a little bit longer. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you record something you're super proud of, or like a record comes out, you're super proud of it's, there's nothing like it. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm all about it. That's what I'm saying, man. Like it's that moment that like, I've done bands for like 20 years now. I played enough on enough recordings, you know, where I know that these moments are super precious and super yeah. fleeting. So I'm trying really hard. Like we're playing a free show tomorrow at a skate store. Now on its surface, that sounds like a cool thing. Problem is we argued and got the uh, opportunity to play outside and it's going to be 99 degrees tomorrow. <laughs> and I am unsure as to the wiseness of my choice of our choice, but we're going to do it. And I mean, like, just, you know, it's, it's in Doylestown. It's at a, it's at Nomad Skate Supply, you know, where oh, we played yeah, there totally. last year. Yeah, yeah, Super yeah. fun, right? Like, it's cool. But it's like, I never want to be the kind of dude who takes that kind of shit for granted. You know what I mean? Like, I want every, like, of course you want every show to be the one where you're like going off and like fucking jumping up in the air and touching your toes and all that stuff. But like, it's just one of those things where it's like every band I've ever done has like come to a weird and like ungraceful end. You know what I mean? And you think back to those like perfect moments when just like everything hits, like all the, all the things line up and you're like, man, that was like a great day. Like I had a wonderful, wonderful night that night. And I just want to be cognizant of those as they come now, because you know, we're, we're in our forties, man. Like, I don't really know. You never know. Like I, you just feel like, okay, is this my last one? Is this the last one I got in me? And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like wagon cheese has three kids. They're getting older. Like, you know, Dave and, and Brandy, like everybody has like Andrew moved to, to Asbury park and he now just works in New Jersey, you know, like Bo's like moving through career stuff. Like there's so much stuff happening that it's just like, man, like you never know if like this, if this weird puzzle box is ever going to come together in this formation again. So you just kind of got to swing for the fences when you do, but also take complete cognizance of the fact that you're here doing this thing with these people that you love, you know what I mean? And that's, that's huge for me. So totally on track. That's what, that's kind of where my focus has been. I love so, that. you know, that's been awesome. Uh, as far as movies go, um, I haven't really seen anything new. I, I mean, other than these two that we watched, um, not that they're new, but I mean, you know, I'm saying like, I haven't really had a chance to see anything lately. So I haven't even seen Thor yet. I haven't, um, I saw Marcel, the shell with shoes on. I told you guys about that. Yeah. Right? You already talked about that. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, other than that, nothing else. That's what I got. Wow. Okay. This is the first time in a while that I have more, way more to talk about than you do, which is like, yeah, you never know. happens. Okay. So I saw Thor love and thunder. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It was, I'm in this weird thing where I, I was a teeny bit disappointed by it, but then I realized how hateful most people are towards it. And I didn't feel that at all. So now I feel a little defensive of it. Cause I was like, it wasn't great, but I didn't think it was terrible either. And parts of it I really liked. I mean, Pete, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a dad. Uh, I have a five year old. 
and okay. um, there's dad stuff in it that I found really moving. And, sure. And the the way it ended is, I think, one of the things that people found super cornball about it. And I was like, yeah, like it was. <laughs> I was stoked. I was so fucking stoked. And knowing that, like, uh, it that is not a that is not. I don't want to spoil what it is because it's a newer movie. Mm-hmm. But I will say that there's a number of relatives of people who made the movie are in the movie. And uh, and then, you know, after you see the movie, do the research to see who played what roles. I think it's really interesting. So uh, all that all that to say, I generally thought it was actually pretty OK. I get that it's not maybe as good as Ragnarok or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for me, I, I also maybe this is weird to say, but. My bar for most Marvel stuff is kind of like gone down. So like mm-hmm. I just need it to be nerdy. You know what I mean? Like I just want some nerd stuff. Um and I guess this is the other so I wanted to talk about this a little bit because one of the th- criticisms people have, and Pete, I don't know how familiar you are with Taika Watiti stuff, but uh but I've seen a, a bunch of his movies, but yeah, yeah, I don't remember all of them. I I feel like he's done a ton of movies I probably haven't seen. And Josh, you you're, you you know most of his stuff, right? Like I'm 100 percent on Team Watiti. I will always stand for that dude. So you and there kn- will be no slander from a man tycoon <laughs> on this show. Well, None. you know that I have one criticism ever, which is that one part in Jojo Rabbit I don't like. Yeah, which and, okay, I get it. And I think people take that, and then they take Thor: Love and Thunder, and they say, "Oh, Taika Watiti has a tone problem," right? that he mixes too many tones and it doesn't work. It's, it doesn't mm. all fit together. I don't think that's true at all, Josh. Let me tell mm. you my theory on Taika Waititi. That's never seemed true to me, yeah. Yeah, here's my theory on Taika Waititi. Uh, Taika Waititi is a wounded man. Like, mm. like many funny people, uh, he is a wounded man. And uh, he makes art, and that art is also wounded. And it, and it bleeds in front of you. And either you appreciate that or you don't. But just because it's funny... Just because it makes you laugh doesn't mean it's not also wounded. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that that is true in Thor Love and Thunder. I think it's true in Jojo Rabbit. Mm-hmm. I happen to think that the way that Jojo Rabbit eventually brings you back to reality is a little bit intense. I think it's more mm-hmm. than it needed to be. But it's one misstep from a career where every single one of these things is tinged with melancholy. Even his silliest project, what we do in the shadows Mm -hmm. is essentially sad. Lame vampires are sad. (laughs) Those are sad people. You know, they are not fun. And like, it's funny. It's a funny show, but they're not cool and sexy, right? They're lame. Mm -hmm. And being lame for all of eternity is very sad. And I, and I think people just don't realize like everything he does hurts a little bit. It all hurts a little bit. And like, that's what he's doing. That's the point of what he's doing. So a lot of people like attacked Thor because they don't like the tonal stuff. And the only way I'll say I appreciate it is people who are, you know, this is based on like a very specific story in the Thor comics. And so I know people who are big fans of this storyline that didn't feel like the movies represented their fandom of the storyline. That's fine. I appreciate that when you're a fan of something, sometimes you don't always appreciate the adaptations. But I don't give a fuck about that. So for me, I'm just taking it as it is. I thought it was mostly fun. I, I, I liked it. It's good. That's it. Now, granted, did I love it the way I loved Ragnarok? No. But uh, honestly, if I had any sort of like actual solid criticism of it, 
I think it's actually a little too funny. Like there's so mm. many jokes that after a while it's kind of like, I get it, man. Like just keep the story. There are certain points where the story slows down so the movie can keep being funny. And I think that is, it gets a little excessive, but even that that's like when you have a piece of chocolate, you're like, man, there's really a lot of fucking chocolate in this. Like, I, I knew I was getting chocolate when I was getting into this thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I knew the movie was going to be fucking funny, so I'm not complaining, like, deeply. I just think, like, you could have pulled back a little bit on the funny on this thing. Yeah. It's just, it's really fucking funny. And, and also, think, let's keep in mind, when he got onto Ragnarok, like, that whole Thor franchise was pretty whack. much dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. duck, man. Dead in the water. So, yeah, second Thor was lame. Oh, worse. sweet Jesus. And then he comes in and he breathes in not only flavor, but also color. Like, yeah. of course, you're going to like be like, yo, Ragnarok was the shit. Because like compared to everything else, that movie is fucking Citizen Kane, right? Like right. that's that's the one of that of that franchise. And so I don't know, man. Sequels. <laughs> uh, that said, I'm still going to see this one. And I love Taika Waititi. I love Reese, yeah. Dar- yeah. Reese Darby. Like I love the whole thing. Right. So I'm in. Fuck it down i'm definitely in yeah I've, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews so i appreciate your review of it i'm 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 definitely gonna see it sooner rather than later yeah um, i mean i i think it's, it's definitely a theater movie like it's one that i'd want to see in the theater i think yeah. that if if anything i do think there's a slight for people who know the lore the sword in the movie that gore the god butcher uses mm. you know that was that's that's actually technically the first symbiote you know mm. so there was a chance here to backdoor in venom in a more direct way than they've been doing. And they mm. kind of leave that on the table. And there was a nerdy part of me that was like, ah, give me some symbiote lore, you know? Cause you know, the, 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 the sword was created by null, the, the God null who eventually creates the symbiotes and the sword is technically the first symbiote. So I just think that would have been cool to like work in a little bit more symbioteness without distracting from the plot but it's clear he just wasn't interested in that and that's fine that doesn't mm. make it a bad movie it's just as a nerd i was like ah man that would have been cool to just get that in there just a teeny bit the way that something else uh was backdoored on a little show that i also wanted to talk about miss marvel have either one of you watched miss marvel no no while love and thunder might have been slightly disappointing miss marvel uh was far better than any of my expectations and is for me personally, my favorite Marvel property, period. It is my favorite. It's wow. great. And it got there pretty easy, which was uh, I care about all of the characters, not even just Miss Marvel. I care about the characters who aren't Miss Marvel. And like when I think about a lot of these other Marvel properties, it's like, how many of these other characters do I actually like care about? Like I might think they're funny and I might find them entertaining, but like I'm invested in, in the whole cast of this fucking show. Like it, it was really, really good. Uh, now I think the, the thing that they did, which I won't spoil here, uh, but if either of you watch this show, you'll, you'll figure it out. They, they did something that could be a big deal for the Marvel universe. I don't know if they're going to do that or not. They might just be playing with us, but, uh, I, I think some people are a little bummed on, on how they did it. But, uh, but I, I will say, what they introduced in the last episode of Miss Marvel is technically in the spirit of the original character. Uh, they just couldn't do this, do that with that at the time because of certain rules at Marvel. So I'll leave it there. Uh, so obtuse, Liam. You're so obtuse. Interesting. I don't want to spoil it for you. I mean, <laughs> I get I, it. I can yeah, say don't. I can say spoilers and tell you, but that'll spoil the show for you. So I don't yeah, wanna, no, let's not do that. It's not a That's huge. Not it's not a huge thing 
for the show, but it's a huge thing for the Marvel universe. So I'll leave it alone at that. But I like to miss Marvel. Uh, the only other things I wanted to mention real quick. Um, I went to a show last night, which is I'm a little tired. I'm a little yeah. off my game tonight because I went to the show and then I had a bad <laughs> night sleeping. So I, I'm kind of operating on like three hours of sleep right now. But um, I went to uh, a show in Chicago at Chi-Town Football, which is a fun like indoor soccer place where they have shows sometimes. And uh, the bands were uh, Si Dios Quiere, uh, Enervate, uh, Raw Brigade, and Buggin'. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a Chicago heavy show with, uh, Raw Brigade touring, uh, for people who don't know, Raw Brigade is from Bogota, Colombia. Uh, and you know, I really like that band. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun time. It's a little weird because it, I rolled utterly solo to the show and then like only saw like one person I knew at the show. So it's been a long time since I've been at a show and been like utterly alone. So that was a little awkward for me. (laughs) um but it happens yeah yeah but it was fun i had a good time um uh you know cdos carry and enervate are not my current style of hardcore that i like but they're both really good live and it was you know the folks were really into it um cdos carry is actually looking for a singer right now so if you're in the chicago area hit them up but uh they're you know a more metally uh kind of like um uh, a Slayer influenced uh, band that that uh, is is has has similar DNA to like somewhere between Cro-Mags and early Hatebreed, you know. Uh, but they're a totally Latin A band, so don't hit them up if you don't speak Spanish because some yeah. of their songs are in Spanish. Uh, they're from the South Side Chicago, and they're really great. One of the things I love about them is how sort of heavy they are, but a lot of their fans like South Side Chicago punk scene is very much like a crusty scene. So like they have a bunch of like punk dudes who love their band. And I'm like, this is just like metally hatebreed. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> um, and then uh and then Enervate from uh Milwaukee's pretty good, uh very sort of bouncy. Uh and then Raw Brigade is great, very old style. I like them a lot. Uh and then Buggin is for me uh one of the better kind of new bands. And uh I didn't quite realize that uh a lo- uh three of the members of Buggin are in that uh local band in still that I also really like and instill played a song before bug and played. I'm like, Oh, they share my, okay. That makes sense. Uh, and I like instill a lot. So that was fun. So it was a good time. Uh, and then it's not the other- my instill, you know what I'm saying, Pete, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, um, the other, the only other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, I finished that show, The Bear. Have you guys know about the show, The Bear? Oh, Melani binged it in one day. What's that? What's it's the deal? So, with because it. it's so fucking good. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, so Pete, uh, it's got that. Did you ever watch that show, Shameless? I haven't watched it. I heard of it. Oh, okay. The one of the the main character, the main actor, is this guy from Shameless. William H Macy. He, no, not William okay. H Macy. Oh, kid, I love William H Macy. And then he's <laughs> not on the. Sh- Shut the fuck up. No, he's one of my favorite three named people: William H Macy, well, John C. Riley, you know and Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know Go what's on. funny is the guy who I'm talking about that matters. Uh-huh. Uh, he he's a three named guy too, but I don't know his name. Uh, but it's. Uh, it the the show is um weirdly enough one of the executive producers is Maddie Matheson um and he actually plays one of the people on the show but he's not a chef like he was one of the chef consults but he's actually there as this like doofy handyman uh but uh the dude from Shameless he's basically like a world renowned chef whose brother uh commits suicide and leaves the family business to him which is an Italian beef place in Chicago. 
So they filmed it like in Chicago at an Italian beef place. And because he's so famous, other chefs come to like work for him at this Italian beef place. And it's sort of like the chaos of trying to run a, a restaurant. Um, uh, not only is it authentic to the restaurant experience, uh, multiple famous chefs have said they couldn't finish the show because it was too stressful for them. Yeah, Melani said it was real triggering because, you know, famously she worked for Steven Starr for a while. Yeah. And she was just like, dude, all the restaurant stuff in it was giving me hives. Yeah, it's like, like whoa. real act. I mean, <laughs> one of the things that it portrays is that if you work in the restaurant industry within a certain segment of the restaurant industry, you basically have PTSD, right? Like, you, yeah. you, you just had some asshole yelling at you for years. Now, it's not quite like that anymore, but the show sort of, sort of shows how even if you want your kitchen to be more uplifting than that it's still hard to run a fucking business right especially one that yeah. like seems to be financially underwater and it doesn't have like a high uh, uh, a high rate of uh, profit and anyways it's it's like very funny show but at times it's very stressful and very emotional and i will say mm. his brother uh was an addict and they don't show it but he committed suicide so if those mm. are like triggers for you i would not watch the show it is very intense but right. very well done. And like me and Suze, we couldn't stop. Watching. Like we don't binge things because we have to go to bed at a normal time to like get up <laughs> like early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even say adults. We go to bed at like old people time, you know. Uh, yeah. But but we did watch it regularly for like a week and we just couldn't watch anything else. We had to finish it. And it's it's really fucking good. So, again, if you can handle the material, I would highly recommend it. But that's it. That's mm-hmm. it for me. Pete, what do you got? So what do I got? I mean, God, you guys had such good answers. Um, so I this week actually booked uh, time to practice music with my friend for the first time in a very long time. It might be the start of a new project. I'm not sure. Um, but it's the first time that I've had something on the calendar to play music with a friend for nice. years at this point. So I love, um, that. I love that's it. very that's personally. Yeah. I mean, Josh, your whole thing reminded me of this. So like. That's exciting, and I'm uh, I'm stoked about that. We'll see what happens there. Um, so that's kind of what's happened on the personal front, I guess. In terms of media and movies and stuff, um, I watched three movies in the last couple weeks that I loved, and I nice. think they're the top of the year so far for me. First was the Beavis and Butthead movie. <laughs> I love which, that, really? Like, straight up, I, I just... I. I was like belly laughing through the whole thing. I mean, like, I don't know if you guys were Beavis and Butthead guys, yeah. but like I yeah, grew up man. on that stuff. So for me, it was like, it's, it's formative. Um, and I was watching it with my wife and she, you know, watched it as a kid too. And we were just laughing, just cackling through the whole movie. It was just like such a fun experience. Um, highly recommend that one. Um, and then I watched the movie Everything Ever Everything uh, Everywhere All at Once. Fucking love it's it. It's my favorite movie of the year. Yeah. You, yeah. I love it so much. That's gonna be tops of the year, isn't it? Like it has to yeah, be. Yeah, it's so good. It's the best multiverse movie of the year. And I love the Doctor Strange movie too. But it was man, so good. Yeah. So good. Uh genius. Like there were moments where I was like, Do I this is weird? Do I like this? But it it wrapped it all up so well. And I don't know. Yeah, it was such a good movie. I had the moment when I was crying during the rocks when they were talking to each other with the uh, googly eyes on them. Oh and man, like, I, I almost yeah, got there. Yeah, <laughs> gonna weep during this. I guess that's just yep. what's going on. Yeah. Oh, no, that was movie. super cool. That movie was great. And then 
Listen, I don't know where you guys are going to fall in this one. I love Top Gun. I thought it was great. I loved I every minute it. of it. it. <laughs> What's funny is I just, so in preparation for that movie, my wife and I have never seen the original Top Gun. Oh, uh, dude, you gotta um, watch the original. Yeah, so we did. And it's funny because, like, I work with Robbie Redcheeks. I don't know if you know uh, Philadelphia scene icon of mm -hmm. yesteryear, Robbie Redcheeks. But uh, he was like, dude, you gotta watch this movie. It's like why movies exist. And I was like, all right, man, I'm gonna watch it. But here's what you don't know about me, Pete. Yeah. My wife loves drag queens. And that's okay. kind of a thing that we like. We we just saw Raja here in Philly at Fabrica. You know what I mean? Like, okay. and, and, you know, like one of our one of my homies, actually friend of the show, Sean Porter, he explained to me that Top Gun is like the ultimate coming out gay movie. And he's like, you got to understand, you know, Val Kilmer's like the out gay man. And he's proud. And Anthony Edwards plays the closeted gay man. And Tom Cruise is just, you know, the curious person in between and trying to decide his life. And the whole thing's just now going for that. So I, I, so, you know, I watched it with the frame, like, okay, I get it. His girlfriend's named Charlie, I guess it's cool. Like no innuendo here. And then when I watched it with Melani, it was like, this is a gay movie. Like this is the gayest movie I maybe have ever seen. And I then mean, the scenes on the beach are interesting, you know, intense, intense. Yeah. And just all the words, you know what I mean? And so the next day I talked to Robbie about it. I was like, dude, that's the gayest movie I've ever seen. And Robbie's like, you're out of your mind, dude. <laughs> I was like, no man, it's like super gay. He's like, dude, it's a bros movie. And I'm like, that's what I'm saying to <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly, and he's yeah. like, no, but no, hey, no, no, it, no. It, it appeals to all it. audiences. That's a good movie right there. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But he was just yeah. like, it's a man's movie. That's why you don't like it. I'm like, <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying about this movie. It is a man's movie. Like, what do you want from me, dude? And but yeah, it's a, it's a funny argument. But I didn't. I we watched it in preparation to watch Maverick, which we still have not seen. And you're you're telling me that I, it's a good movie. So my it. wife, my wife had. I mean, it was a great movie. My wife had never seen any Top Gun movies, and I was like, if you want to come see this with me in the theater, you got to watch the original first. And she was like, all right. So we actually watched. The original on Friday night, and then saw the the new movie on Saturday. And mm. she is Kelly McGillis in it again? No, she's, she's the only one they didn't bring back. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, according to her, they didn't even tell her they were making it. Whoa, yeah. brutal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, anxiety about it being a gay movie, who came out of the closet after that movie came out? I don't know who. Kelly McGillis. Oh, she's a gay, she's a lesbian icon. And uh, I think that makes Mr. Cruz uncomfortable. And so she did not get a call. Back. Wow. Are the Scientologists against the gays? I didn't uh, know this. I Is that a thing? So no. I don't want to, I don't want to be smirch. No, because they'll have you killed. I mean, yeah, or cares? kill your dog. They're not going after us. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I think he's uncomfortable with it. Interesting. Wow. The the clactons or whatever they don't like the gays, huh? I mean, you think thing? that like a dude that's willing to jump off of like a two hundred story building would be <laughs> comfortable with gays around him? And, <laughs> I mean, like that's just like insane. It's like, yeah, I'll jump out of a an airplane, but like I will not be around a gay man. But Kelly McGillis yeah. likes girls. Yeah, get her out of here. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Well, but that said, everyone's got I, their thing. Hey, you know, yeah, it's, it, well, you know, but I heard that Top Gun Maverick is an amazing sequel like that. It's like super duper. No, as it was really good, good. As the first one. Yeah, I was, I was saying, I mean, so my wife watched both and she was like, the second one's better because I mean, it's Whoa. basically it's basically the same movie. OK, um, all right. Just remade. And uh, Tom Cruise does 
He still looks great on that beach scene, man. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> yeah, with his asymmetrical teeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. That's cool, man. So, no, it was fun. It was just a fun watch. Awesome. That's cool. Good movies, uh, man. Good movies. I, I plan to see it at some point, Pete, so don't feel bad. I, I, I hear it's great. I just had it. No, I mean, I don't know I if you guys are like action, movie, like limited. big, big, like big budget. I mean, you guys I like think, the Marvel movies, but well, I don't know. I, like, no, what here, here's is. the deal with Josh. Josh loves the Fast and Furious movies. So he can't I have a Fast say, and oh, Furious okay. tattoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't oh, say so. he doesn't you can't, like You can't knock movies. Top Gun. Yeah. Come on. No, yeah, 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 I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I mean, you know, calling it a gay movie is not a knock. Let's also oh, no, put that out. Oh, yeah. That's what bums me about Robbie. Like it sounds like he's bummed that it's get like um no he's not be- bummed he it's just he has this whole definition of because I was like well when I was a kid I saw Iron Eagle with Louis Gossett Jr. and sure, he was like yeah. well the reason that's even a thing is because of Top Gun like he had <laughs> this whole moment of defense you know and it wasn't even just he, I guess if you just see it at that point like airplanes and shit are dope when you're like a kid I from mean, New Jersey let's, who's let's, like twelve you know like let's be clear though like this is an uh, one of the thing about one of the things about the eighties, right, is that there wasn't a lot of direct things that were out and gay. Like a yeah. lot of like queer film interpretation is about seeing the straightest thing ever and saying, I don't know, guys. Yeah, this feels thing in here. Very gay. <laughs> and then like being able to point to ways that, you know, whatever. And in some cases, those were literal things that were sort of under the surface, as we all know famously, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. You know, yeah. that like right. people saw that as kind of gay, that it was like, yeah, it is kind of gay, actually. You know, yeah. but oh, like, man. so with the Top Gun thing, you know, like maybe that's all subliminal and none of that is like on the surface for anyone. But when I've heard the same things that you did, Josh, not from mm-hmm. Sean Porter, but just in general, I'm like, there is a lot of like, yeah, dude. you know, connotations here. But again, that doesn't make it not manly. Like a no, lot of gay yeah. things are the manliest things ever. You know what I mean? Like, well, here's the that's other thing, sort man. of the like, point, right? Like, real, real, real quick, just before, just because you've made the Nightmare on Elm Street 2 reference. I'm sorry. I have to say, did you guys watch that like eight hour documentary on the Nightmare on Elm Street series? Oh, I forget yeah. what it was called. Were they basically what, left what? out Nightmare on Elm Street 2? No, they, <laughs> they talk about it and the director is in it and he's like, He's like, yeah, listen, I was just, I was going through, I was going through some shit at the time. Like he's just, he's so straight See, up about it, but which I know, for me, I, I was know. just like, thank you. Cause I'm like, it, <laughs> but it, that means it, like, you when haven't you watch seen that movie. You're like, oh man. But like, okay. Pete, have you seen, and I bet you Scream haven't. Scream Queen. Scream Queen, the documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. No, I haven't. So yeah, because of Shutter. that, so the thing about that movie, about the movie you're talking about is there's only one Scream Queen they didn't invite for that documentary. Okay. The dude from Nightmare on Elm Street too. He was not invited. And in fact, he's never invited to anything. And so he ah. made a documentary about being basically the one boy scream queen because of being in Nightmare on Elm Street too. And about how he, he's been <laughs> yeah. called, I mean, for, for, for oh, decades, man. people have said I gotta that watch this. because yeah. he is gay, people said he gayed up the movie. Like somehow yeah, just by he being somehow gay, the script. he yeah. made the movie gay as if like any one person could do anything. You know what I mean? And so like the movie's about that and like how for how the, years, the screenwriter gaslighted him and said, yeah, and denied oh, that it was nothing a gay, is gay in the movie. Yeah. You just made it gay oh, with wow. your performance. Yeah. And on screen, he gets the guy to admit that it's bullshit. It was a gay subtext. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so was the screenwriter caught, like kind of admitting to that in this Nightmare on Elm Street documentary, like the first time that he's done that, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And he came way out, like in the movie, he tries to be defensive in the documentary, but he eventually admits that like part of the movie was inspired by the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And so like he was sure. thinking about, 
you know, uh, someone who was struggling with their own sexuality. And that's part of the movie. And, and basically they didn't think it would be so on the surface for like, he, he just thought he was doing something clever. Only a lot of people figured it out. And then he was embarrassed (laughs) that he just lied about it for like decades. Right. 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 So it's, it's a very good, it's a very good documentary. It's called. I'll definitely watch that. Okay. It's really fucking good. So, okay. Hey, let's, I have break. one more thing that I forgot, though. Oh, Josh. Okay. I know. It's, um, it's, it's, it's over an hour at this point. We still got to talk about it. It's movies. in support of a fan of the show, Jenna Corsi. Oh, yeah. You and, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, her, well, she's doing a one woman play that I saw this week at Fergie's. Oh, wow. It's called Johnny Depp, a retrospective in late stage capitalism. <laughs> now, she's doing two dates in Philadelphia because she's taking this show to England. She's going across the pond, baby. So these last two shows are fundraisers for that. So the next one is next week, which I don't know if this will be out by the time that show comes out, but it's Sunday the 24th at Fergie's. And uh, basically what Jenna does is she gives you a bag of fake doubloons and she's dressed like Johnny Depp. And then it's an an examination of late-stage capitalism through the lens of Johnny Depp's filmography. And every time that. you, every time she brings up a slide with a movie that you've seen, you're you're supposed to throw a coin at her, and she walks around and like tells jokes and like all in Johnny Depp, and she's dressed like Johnny Depp from the Pirates movies and stuff. It <laughs> is an incredible show, and it was at Fergie's. And the funny thing is, Scully was like, "Yeah, sit at this table," and I sat down next to this old white dude and his girlfriend, and that was Fergie. I was like, "Hello, my name's Fergie," and I was like, "Hi, I'm Josh," and I was like, "Wait a minute." Fergie like Fergie's <laughs> he's like yeah it's like ah oh, your bar is it looks like the Winchester if you've ever seen Shaun of the Dead yeah, yeah and uh it's it's super fun time but I just wanted to big up that the play it's called Johnny Depp a retrospective in late stage capitalism and it's super duper fun and Jenna deserves all the accolades it's such a inventive and because in, like she she used to have a partner that she did the show with and now she, it's just her doing it and so she's kind of billing it as like a Johnny Depp apology tour. It's it's so ridiculous. It's so funny. It's so smart. And I think she's awesome. And the play is awesome. So I just want to say I did that this week and it was dope. And if you have a chance to go see it, you should. Nice. That's all I got. That's the last thing. Well, I heard this podcast is about movies. So we should take a break. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> and we'll come back and talk about Eraserhead and Crumb. We'll be right back. After the break. She used to be an American airline Through hotels parallels Of the far out moon Still being watched by the pipe smoke contingent gap From creamery sixteeneries And you won't leave soon She drives like an exodus snow to the steeple And the touch is sad The cold room is clean and it's distant from people But the bugs are bad She is alone, never off to the races Pulled by lumbering dogs Being chased by beasts 
talking about two movies that you picked pete we're talking about crumb and we're talking about Eraserhead. the other weird similarity between these two <laughs> philadelphia movies yeah. i know i i'm yeah. glad you brought that up yeah yeah definitely. very just saying well, like I, I mean to to be fair crumb less of crumb occurs in philadelphia than i thought at first because there were mm. there, at a certain point i'm like oh they've moved to a different city but like for a while i was like is all of this in philly like i was trying to figure out where they were uh <laughs> yeah. and then also Eraserhead is fake philly right like it yeah it, it's, it's not yeah. real philly it's, it's in los inspired angeles. by philly yeah yeah it's inspired yeah. by the eraser hood but yeah. it's not <laughs> No, that that's was, that's real. Eraserhood's a place where they call it that now. That's where he lived when he was at um the film school here or the art school here. Yeah. Did they call it they call it Eraserhood because Eraserhead came out of it? Yeah, like basically it's it's just a neighborhood near I mean, if you've you've been to Philly some, I'm sure, Pete, like yeah, where yeah, yeah. you know where the union transfer is? Yep. That's the Eraserhood. Like Ancient. basically he okay, lived in that area that. and then commuted to the, the, what is that called? The, it's uh, like the pa Institute. Pafa. Yeah. No. Pafa. Oh yeah. 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 Philadelphia yeah. Academy, Academy of Fine Art. Of Fine Art. And so uh, he wow. talks pretty openly when people talk about like, why does Eraserhead look so, you know, grim? He'd be like, have you ever been to Philadelphia? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, there was, there was one interview that I watched like around the first time I saw Razorhead, which was, I think, my freshman year in college, which was like 2003, 2004. Um, he said in an interview from when did that movie come out? The 70s, late yeah. 70s. Um, 77. Like, OK, yeah. They're like, what's that movie about? He's like, it's it's about Philadelphia. And like, I haven't been able to refine that that exact clip, but I thought it was so perfect because I was like, yeah, Philadelphia is gloomy. I never. Yeah. thought of philadelphia as the most posy place right but like i thought that was always funny um yeah well so speaking, speaking of that pete uh hey what's a racer head about you want to tell our wait, wait, let's start with this though pete like so what is your relationship with david Lynch? yeah yeah good call so i i think i've watched all of his movies mm -hmm. 
I like him a lot. I think he's a great director. I think he makes really interesting movies. And I think um, they're fun because you kind of just get to interpret them. I mean, I know that, um, Liam, you were talking before about Eraserhead being a movie about parenthood, right? But Yeah. And I think that's like, that's definitely an interpretation that you can have. But I also think that my interpretation when I saw this movie at first, which I guess I'll, I'll save for a minute, but like, but it was, uh, it was different. And I think that's fun. That's like a fun thing about David Lynch's movies. So Mm. I guess like whenever he puts a thing out, I'll watch it. Um, sometimes I love it. Sometimes I hate it. Like, Inland Empire when that came out I'll never forget I went to see that in the theaters and sat there for like four hours and I was like what the <laughs> fuck is this movie about I hate this and like I I loathed it but like I really want to go back and watch it because there might be something interesting there so I don't know I I find him he's like my favorite kind of artist in the way that I think he's like amazing at certain points and then super frustrating at certain points, but he's frustrating in this way that I want to go back and like, look at it more and kind of see if I'm missing something. It's like a playful frustration that I have with him. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating, but it's never serious. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's always an air of like innocence to it. And that's, I think that's Mm. one of the things I really resonate with, but it's funny. I mean, have you, have you uh, read his book on TM? (laughs) No, I haven't actually. Oh, did you go to the seminar on TM that he endorsed because he did it? <laughs> Cause guess who did? Your boy <laughs> there you went go. to a Holiday Inn. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, uh huh. That's right. He did a screening of Lost Highway here at PAFA, and it was all in support of that uh, his whole transcendental meditation thing. So there me and Melani went to the info session at the Holiday Inn downtown for for transcendental meditation. And so are uh, you a, a regular meditator now? Oh hell no. Nah. Yeah. Your boy doesn't meditate not for one minute. <laughs> I should probably, Lord knows. It's good for but, you. Uh, I yeah, remember I'm, I'm I remember told. when they did that exhibit at PAFA. At, they yeah. showed a bunch of his work his when he was at PAFA. He had shorts and he had paintings and sculptures and stuff. It's all very dark stuff. But uh, it's cool. It's yeah. like so cool. But, yeah, I mean, but like a lot of his stuff is like, like, did you do you guys ever see the shorts that he did called Dumbland? Yeah, yeah. Like, those like are it's great. it's super dark, but it's also like super funny. I mean, there's yeah. always like oh, an totally. element of humor to it, right? Well, like, and I I feel that way with Eraserhead, even. But I mean, yeah. He, so he's talked, like you said, a lot about how it's inspired by Philadelphia and some of the awful things him and his family experienced there. And what's crazy to me is his daughter was one of the first people to suggest the movie was about her like she had uh club feet when she was born and had to go through a bunch of very painful incredible surgeries and so when she's talked about how the movie is in some way related to their experience of living in philadelphia and her having to do these surgeries she also talked about being on set and it was like one of the most fun experiences of her life. And yeah, it was so yeah, fun and too, funny. Yeah. And like, it wasn't a dark experience for her at all. And at no point does she suggest, I think when people, when you say like, oh, this movie is in some ways about the anxieties of fatherhood, people think like, oh, David Lynch must hate children. It's like, mm, I don't think I, I, the idea that this is a literal, like that, uh, that our main character is just David Lynch and that he wants to murder his child I think it's pretty clear that the movie is uh, uh, nightmares upon nightmares, you know, like it's, it's one of the few movies where I'm like, 
this doesn't feel like it's real. And then it has a dream sequence in it. Like I already feel like I'm in a dream. <laughs> yeah. And then he has a dream, and I'm like, "This movie's really like it." it but it Pete, really- did you, did you find any levity moments in this movie? Because oh, I'll be yeah, honest, yeah. I did not. I oh, was not I that. find a few really okay. Oh, Pete, no, I, what parts like, do you think are funny? Uh, dude, I I wish I could have my wife on this podcast in a way because mm. I'm just like cackling throughout the whole movie. Yeah, yeah. And really? she is. She was like. It was the first time she had ever sat through the whole thing, which thank you, Gina, for watching this movie with me. You did not have to do that. But she was like, like the bait, the sound of the baby crying, like she could not even like be in the room. She was like, this is just so the most horrifying thing. Yeah. Um, For me, it's like. This is where I guess maybe I'm, I'm going to try not to get too personal here. There's a lot of darkness in everybody's past, right? So yeah. like I'm I'm just like everyone else. There's a lot of darkness there. Uh my childhood was not great uh in a lot of ways. So I feel like I've found this way to deal with the darkness by laughing in its face. So I watch movies like this and they honestly like like the first time I watched a Razorhead, you guys are gonna think I'm insane, but like one of the thoughts that came to my head was like, this is a super realistic movie because it like, (laughs) like the the way that he just like lays on his bed and like, like, like stares into the radiator. Mm. Like that's like, like there were moments of that in my childhood where it's just like all of this horrific darkness going on around you. And you like find that woman in the radiator that's singing the beautiful song. And like, for, for me, that's just like, Oh, that's just like what childhood is kind of. So like so 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 that's in grim, in, 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 in certain grim, respects like I mean yeah I'm sorry I don't I don't want to just go there but like when I was rewatching this I was like oh that's why this movie tracks with me so much but it's also like I don't know like like scenes where you know Henry looks across the 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 hallway and there's like some like John with the with the woman across the hallway and he's like like kind of this grotesque looking guy and it's like he's just horrified like all of that is like it's just kind of funny because he's reacting as a child but he's like a grown man yeah you know like like it's I, it's all it's all of these emotions so like i just i look at all that stuff and i just i kind of just laugh at it because it's uh it's you have to be able to laugh into the abyss I otherwise guess, like what happens you know? i guess for me josh i don't think that something because it's funny is any less horrifying. Like I think, <laughs> I think that David Lynch thinks this movie is uh, funny. Like I think he thought these, some of these parts were funny when he was doing them. He also thinks it's his yeah. most spiritual movie he ever made. And sure. I think both, Oh God damn it. I think both those things are true. And for me, like a great example is the dinner, right? Yeah. Mm. The dinner is oh, upsetting. Scene, it's, it's so, so fucking absurd. upsetting. Yeah. It's also hilarious. It is oh, fucking Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm so laughing through fucking the whole funny. thing. I mean, I think there are moments that aren't funny for me like when um it, well, okay, so let me back up Pete. When I first saw this movie, I did not think it was funny cuz I well, was 10 years old and it fucking <laughs> horrified me and the part yeah, where I mean, no all the goo comes out of the baby uh, it like I would think about it later and I would start retching. Like that was like just a fucking step too far for me as a child. Right. Uh, but I will say on rewatches, there are parts that are funny. I, I mean, 
I let's talk about the moon faced girl singing about heaven, mm. right? Yeah. I feel two ways about that. On one hand, I think that's funny and ridiculous. I also think that's the call of death. That's say that's literally death being like, you could just kill yourself, man. Like there's a way out of all this. Like you could oh, just see, die. See, I th- I think that can be that for sure. I mean, there's definitely I thought about like the suicidal kind of yeah. like 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 references and all of that, but yeah. I also think that it can be just the thing that you think is the scariest, darkest thing is actually just like an exit. Like, like, the, like, right. you know, you, yes. you talk about, you talk about the baby where like he cuts the baby open right at the end, mm-hmm. like the wrapping and you don't know what's in there and, and it opens it, opens. it up and yeah. there's just, it's, it's, there's nothing holding it all together. It's just kind of yeah. this like empty entity Whoa. Yeah, and he kills Ugh. the thing, which is like the whole thing is gro- like, listen, I'm not denying the fact that the fucking thing is like hard to watch. It's so gross. But like, but I'm also (laughs) like kind of desensitized to it because I've watched so many like trauma movies and stuff. Mm. So like for me, it's like, that's, that's kind of not the, the part that I focus on for me. It's more like, all right. So he kills the thing and then he actually ends up in heaven, which is just to say for me, it's like, if you face the fear, if you just do the thing that you know, that has to be done, which like, Maybe in this case, it's a really shitty metaphor because it's like, like an actual baby the on the table, yeah. you know, but like, but at the same time, like if you, if you use that as a metaphor for anything else in life, it's actually pretty profound to me. See, so I don't know. So when I say that it's a, about fatherhood, I think people think what I mean by that is responsibility, but I actually think it's mortality. Like that's what I think is going on when he has the image of the baby replacing his head, that his head pops off and the baby's head is there. Yeah. Like for all fathers, right? Uh, and even more so in our current world where we aren't so gender focused, right? Uh, mm. But let's let's go by the more gendered reality of the 1970s. You know, the son is the father and the father is the son. The right. father has created his replacement. And if he's a good father, then his son will be everything he is thus making him irrelevant and no longer useful to the world or to yeah. himself. It's yeah. like the act of fatherhood is an act of suicide. Like, mm. like that is how it's treated in lots of literature, in mythology. When you have created children, you have created your end. You know, you yeah. have, you yeah. have made yourself no longer relevant. I think that's part of what's going on in the movie. Now, I don't think it's all of it because a lot of people have said that. And David Lynch has always said the same things about this movie. One, Whatever your interpretation is right, because it's a dream, and whatever you see there is correct. Also, no one has ever gotten his interpretation exactly right, because (laughs) of course they haven't. He's pulling from his own life. To me, more than any of his other movies, I think this is his most personal work. Mm. This is the thing he did that was an expression of how he felt. So like, when you're creating something that personal, but you're abstracting it, you've done two things. One is it's so personal that no one will ever truly know where it it came from. But also by abstracting it, you've made it universal. So anyone can watch this fucking thing and be like, Oh God damn that. I (laughs) I resonate with that. I like when he, when his head is made into erasers, I don't know anyone living in, if if you can watch that and you are living in modern (laughs) capitalism and you do not resonate with that. I don't know who, why, you must yeah, be some you're magic probably a billionaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's it's funny. 
Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It's, you know, one of the weirdest scenes in the movie that did like sit with me for a minute is when yeah. the, when the mom is trying to pull the suitcase out from under the bed and she's just <laughs> yanking at it and you don't know what's going on. Yeah. Everything's just and, so like, exaggerated. Yeah. You're like, I want to laugh, but also just like, yo, I've been there, dog. You just got to pull real hard one time. And it's that, just, oh, well, see, that's a great example because on one hand, that scene was hard for me because like as a parent, there were times where I was so fucking exhausted that I was just like, I can't do this right now. Like, I can't fucking do this. Like, really? Like, is this really what I'm, I'm supposed to do this for the next year? Like, I'm so goddamn tired. How do I live right now? And then I got to go to work. Like, so that sense of her frustration and exhaustion yeah. was resonating. On the other hand, then she starts to pull that suitcase out. And in the midst of my own horror, both at what's happening to her at my memories of myself and at the feeling of my own weakness, like having a child made me feel the most uh, like not worthy of any, you know what I mean? Like the least capable I've ever felt is, yeah. as, is when I had this child and I had to like figure out how to live now with this kid. So there's all this like negative. And then she starts pulling that suitcase and I fucking just started laughing, man. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> well, so but that's, weird. that's where it becomes funny because like, yeah, like totally. th that, that focus on like those horrific moments uh -huh. where it's just like, like, you're trying to just do this thing and get out of the room, but it becomes this kind of bit like, like th there's definitely intentional comedy there, but yeah. it, you know, unless you've been through those moments, you really can't see it at all. I mean, you know, it's also even in portraying horrific stuff, it's done in a way that has to be seen as comedic, right? Even if the joke doesn't land for you when the moon face girls dancing back and forth and the stage is being covered in sperms, Right. Yeah. And then she squishes the sperms with her foot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, come so on. we're just calling those sperms though, because that's that's an interpretation there that you're here's making. yeah, here's my interpretation. At the beginning of the movie, we see him, we see the the planet kind of represents in some sense himself. We see the sperm landing in the water. That's like impregnation. And the water that it lands in is weirdly similar to the pool we see him in later with the yeah. lusty neighbor, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and what's what I love about that is that so you have this whole scene where I feel like this is all meant to represent him having this, you know, uh, 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 uh procreating, right? And then yeah. I think even the shot of the circle is meant to be birth, right? Because he finds out about the child after the child has been born, so sure. like he's missed a lot at this point. He's missed a lot of what's going on, and so it's almost like the movie begins with that having already happened, and then we see him walking to work in what looks like bobbed out London, right? Like Dude, it's like, that's yeah. fucking amazing. That yeah. scene is amazing. And then he yeah. steps in a puddle and there's no sound effect. And there is yeah. something I, I, I'm not saying that puddle is related to the water. We see the sperm fall into, but for me, the juxtaposition of those scenes, there was something about that. I was like, that's gotta be intentional, right? Like there's just something about like just the lack of sound in that moment. Yeah. There's that's such jarring. a huge attention. Yeah. yeah there's yeah, such yeah. a huge attention to the sound design of this movie. Just it like is some the of the most of the amazing wind. sound design. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. For a movie made with, by the way, no money over yeah. the course of what was it like three years? Like it's crazy. Like apparently at one point, they had so little money and they had to film whatever they could that David Lynch was just like living in the room where they were filming as his, the dude's apartment. Like he was just living in there. That's fucked. Right. Like, that's could you wild. imagine? Yeah, no, oh, that's insane. Amazing. Good yeah. Lord. Okay. So we never really did a plot breakdown, but I, I think we just assumed. Is there a plot breakdown? to be No, I'm just going to assume like, that most people listening I mean, have seen the movie at well, this point. You know what I mean? 
I mean, it's like, like, do you even consider the movie linear? Because like, you could watch it right. and and it could just not be linear. I, but like, okay, but- I think it is more so to to put give you some perspective on this, Pete. I uh, I have another podcast. Well, so on Cinema Sportsboard, I told you we cover all kinds of stuff. One mm-hmm. of the things we cover on Cinema Sportsboard is one dedicated to Alejandro Jodorowsky. So okay. when I think of a, an almost entirely abstract film, but it still has some plot. I think of the Holy Mountain, right? Yeah, sure. I think this is narratively more forward than the Holy Mountain. Like, I think there's more going on. But I think what is unclear about the movie is if it is ever based in reality, right? So there's like, it has a, it has a beginning point and it has an end point. And I feel like there is an arc to what's happening. But is any of it real? Is all of it interpretive? Like, there's no yeah, yeah, yeah. suggestion that the film is interested in ever suggesting yeah. This part is real, and this yeah, part is no not real. There's no anchor point throughout the entire yeah. movie. Yeah, and I don't think it needs it. Like I, I, I'm, I, I, we've talked about this before, but Pete, I don't know if you would have heard us, but uh, me, neither me nor Josh is wedded to the idea of narrative as an important element of film, which doesn't okay. mean we don't like narrative films. I love narrative films; they're great. Yeah. But a movie that's just a bunch of shit going on—that sounds yeah. awesome as long as it's oh, engaging. Yeah. It could be boring as shit, but you know. I mean, okay. like, look at movies by, like, the Brothers Quay or even, like, Sankmeyer's Alice. Like, these movies, pretty light on the linear storytelling, but completely visually engaging, right? There has to be something that draws you in yep. for it to be a thing, but it's not always going to be narrative. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the Hodorowsky movies, like, I haven't watched those in a long time, actually, but they're so psychedelic and there's so uh-huh. many, there's they're so wonderful. many things. There's so much going on, and, like, I remember... I, I wish that I could speak to this in a way where like I've seen them recently, but when I watched them 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I don't know what it was. I like individual scenes really impacted me, but it had no real impact on the entire movie. It was more just like I watched it and like took a lot out of these individual sure. pieces yeah. of the thing. And like, that's what I love about that kind of filmmaking specifically, right? Like, that's what I love about, you know, Holy Mountain that like someone gets shot and birds fly out of the wounds. Like that yeah. shit is yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like gorgeous. I, I definitely recommend uh, the podcast is called Joda Wowski. <laughs> I will definitely check it. I'll definitely check it. But puns I got Cinepunk's HQ. I, I got <laughs> to rewatch the uh, the movies first. I think I want to yeah. I want to go well, in. We go in we, my shit. We go in order so you could go with the order of the shows. And uh, we also do a number of episodes on his comic book uh, stuff as well. Meta Barons uh, cool. and uh, the Ink Call. Yeah, we, we've we only done the Ink Call, but there's a lot of more of Ink Call than I realized. Like, it's yeah, not just that it's one huge. thing. It's huge. And then we're we're going to, on uh, an upcoming episode, uh, we're going to do Meta Barons as well. But we also did, he has a number of like one off comics. So we did an yeah. episode about those, some of which are great, but some of which are like, not There's so one good. he did that was like really hard to read. And it was just like, what the fuck is this? And it's not, it, it actually, funny enough, wasn't him per se alone. It was the artist as well. The artist is, the artist's art style was such that I couldn't tell any of the characters apart. Whoa. So I was just like, what's happening here? <laughs> like it was, it was, it was very weird. But yeah, so we, we just did Sata Sangre, uh, which is like, okay, great. Very, I've seen that one. It's a lot more linear than his others, but it's still very weird, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, I think next we're actually doing the movie He Hates. I think we're doing okay. The Rainbow Thief next. That's his uh, 
his Hollywood movie that he doesn't yeah. acknowledge anymore. So I'm, oh, I'm actually I'm actually curious to see it because I've never seen it. I've never seen. He it, never yeah. talks about it. I don't know what it's going to be, but he hates it. He he pretends it doesn't exist. Do you consider Hodorowski's Dune a Hodorowski movie? Yeah. I mean, we talked about we talked about the documentary about that's the, what I mean. How, yeah, yeah, the yeah, documentary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we covered it because we wanted to go. It, it's just the only document from that time, in a sense. Right, right. So we did cover it in order, and we interviewed Frank Pavich, which is funny because Frank Pavich, who directed it, was an early guest on Cinepunks. Yeah, and, and so ah. like I actually and got to talk to him friend. again. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And he was stoked <laughs> to talk again. Uh, you know, and uh, anyways, now it I was, feel like a dummy. You guys go so deep in this. I'm sorry. Well, no, yeah, no, I mean, not at all. Totally, no. Yeah. Here's the thing that you don't know: Frank Pavich's only other directing credit. Do you know what it is? No. The New York Hardcore documentary from 1995, the one oh. with uh, with Isaac and uh, <laughs> hell yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so there you go. So like, we <laughs> I just hit him up on Twitter and was like, "Ao, we're prob- <laughs> we're probably the only podcast that is as devoted to Joe Draski's Dune as we are to the New York Hardcore documentary. Do you want to come on?" He's like, "No one who's talked to me about this movie." knows about the New York hardcore documentary. And I was like, well, we do. So come on. And not only did he come on, he was a great guest. Uh, we hung out with him afterwards. And later he sent us DVDs of the New York hardcore documentary, yeah. which had his updated follow-up interviews, which I recommend anyone do because famously you remember the New York hardcore documentary. There's a moment where Isaac is talking about what a crazy person Rick to life is. Cause he's got all those tattoos all over his face. Yeah. So then 20 years <laughs> later, he's interviewing Lord Isaac and he's like, do you think that's ironic now that you have a bunch of tattoos? And Lord Isaac's like, no, why would that be ironic? And he's like, <laughs> no reason. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right answer. Oh, man. Yeah. Great. It's, it's great. so good. It's so good. Welcome, welcome. Okay. Okay. Let's get back to Eraserhead. Let's just finish up this discussion because I one thing that we've said before, but I want to say in case we do have any new listeners because Pete's famous, so we might have new listeners. Oh, that's uh, not true. <laughs> is, is this. When you're watching a movie like Eraserhead, do yourself a fucking favor. Don't try to figure it out. Like, we're all talking about our interpretations of things and moments that impacted us. There's no key. There's no magic formula. I've even watched videos and analyzing this movie. And all the best videos start with, hey, guys, these are just some of my thoughts. Because no one's going to figure it out. And that's not the point. You know? Oh, that was a cool sound. Uh, David Lynch didn't make the movie thinking, man, I hope someone figures out what I really meant here. Like, that's not the point of the movie. It's for you to think about how it makes you feel and the way it makes you feel helps you understand it. But that understanding isn't about the one true answer. It's about your interpretation of what's going on. Yeah. And that's, I love movies like that. That's why we love Yodorowsky. That's why we love a pizza pong where at the coon. Like, that's why we love, cause they're the one movies that give the most agency to the viewer in terms of yeah, genre. Right. Right. Like, cause it's, it truly is not even an act of ownership. It's just an act of expression on both sides of the lens. And that's what, that's what David Lynch is to me. You know what yeah. I mean? He's like patient zero for that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and let's go ahead and say that not all the movies that do that though, make me wretch. The way yeah. that the end of Eraserhead made me wretch for years. I've <laughs> no. seen it enough times now that this time. I mean, it didn't 10 make me years feel old sick. is rough, dude. I mean, yeah, that's, look. Well, he saw, he saw Nightmare on Elm Street when he was like five or some crazy uh, shit like that. Se- so, I, was, I was seven or eight. Yeah, you were too young. Too yeah. young. 
Your parents was, are like, you know what? We're just going to make him a weird adult. Go ahead and watch the I movie. Know, to, yeah. be fair, I mean, to be fair, it was my mom's boyfriend's kids that showed it to me. So it's their fault. But uh, mm. yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but that was also how I saw Eraserhead was because of George. I, I just need to blame my current stepdad, then was just my mom's boyfriend, on so much good and bad in my life. Like without him, <laughs> I wouldn't know the Velvet Underground. But without him, I wouldn't have had nightmares for years about the baby from a racer head. <laughs> yeah, man, dig it. So you guys had, I mean, obviously Liam, you had seen this before and Josh, you saw this before I, yeah. I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Chrome, was it the same? You guys had both seen the, that before. Yeah. Or was that new to you? I've seen it before. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. I thought I had seen it before. I don't think I ever finished it because, okay. and we'll talk about, in fact, let's transition right now. Um, you know, final word on Racerhead. It's really good. You should watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's highly, like yeah, it. and no, I mean, I, I think Liam, though, like your point, just to put a finer point on it, it's like that was that was maybe it's super obvious, but it was like pivotal to me in my yeah. teenage years. Yes, to be like, oh, I can just like understand a movie for myself, and it doesn't yes. have to be like the yeah. general interpretation of the thing. Like that was like really really important for me to kind of come to terms with. Yeah. And and it it helped specifically with movies like this, you know. So yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, interpret it for yourself. If everyone says that the Thor movie is, is like about like right. some nonsense <laughs> that you aren't into, like just watch it. Because maybe you'll like it. Pete, it's you're fine. you're sounding like a real cinepunk right now. You're, yeah, you're man. really you're vibing our with language, the, baby. With the whole the, the whole collective. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh so Crumb is a documentary from uh nineteen ninety-five. Directed uh, by Terry Zweigoff. Yeah, who did uh, Ghost, World Ghost World and other things, I think, too. But I just know Girls Ghost World. Um, and uh, it is about Robert Crumb, you know, the famous uh, underground comics artist. He created Felix the Cat and um, the weird beard guy. From the Grateful and- Dead. Mr. Natural. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Natural. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, a lot of. Uh, very threatening Slender. women with huge boot butts and uh, <laughs> and legs, powerful yeah, legs. lots of powerful legs. Uh, and he's sort of known for being, you know, a bit Ribald. of a, a, a bit of a, a ribald sex fiend um, <laughs> and, and really got wild in the 70s. And this is like later in his career. People still know who he is, but he's not quite like on the cutting edge of comics anymore. Uh, and I'll tell you guys what this movie starts off in a way that is maybe not fun because we go to Philly and to the neighborhood where he's, he's from and it's that part's really dark, but still there's a sense of fun to it at first. And I'll tell you what, Pete, when you asked me if I'd seen this before, that's all I remembered, which tells me either I didn't finish the film or I saw it young enough that I didn't absorb the end of the film Yeah, because the movie doesn't end in a way that is very upbeat. Uh, as the movie goes on, we suspect that there's something up with his family. Uh, it, it, it gets more and more revealed until we learn that one of his brothers has gone to uh, a Mental asylum hospital. because he was yeah. assaulting women and couldn't yep. stop. And his yep. other brother has never been in a relationship, uh, possibly because he's a pedophile and he is on yeah. a number of drugs. And then the movie ends with the note that um, 
uh, his brother Charles, killed his brother. himself yeah. shortly after the filming of the movie. A year after the filming of the movie, and yep. that his sisters both declined to be in the movie. Yeah, so who knows Dude, and, what was going on? I with can't them. find anything about. No, they that. don't. Like, one of them. I've, one of them I've, passed away. I know that much. Uh, th- so, but that, but but that wasn't that was like somewhat recently, wasn't right, it? Right, exactly. No, exactly. But yeah. that's all you can find. Uh, there, yeah. there, there are some sad. Let Let me do the because I want to focus on the movie. Let's talk about some after the movie sure. things, positive and negative. Uh, the okay. negative is um, very recently his son passed away. His son is in the uh, movie, and oh, uh, he was in a car sad. accident and passed away recently, and it, it was very sad. Uh, his daughter briefly had a stint as a cartoonist. In fact, she did a lot of the art for ghost world, but now Mm. she's married, happily married apparently and has a family and isn't interested in cartooning. Uh, but his, she's like a West Philly punk though. Right? Like she is like, she lives lives in France, man. She's married. No, but like, did I not catch an apple? Like I thought that she was in Philadelphia also for some time. Oh, no, I'm just going off her Wikipedia, which never mentions Philadelphia. But she's you know, friends maybe with Perry Shell. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. That's fu- yeah. All that's on her Wikipedia is that she did some cartooning, then she left it, got married to a construction guy, and has like three kids and lives in the the countryside South of France. France. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just wow. I, know that I mean, Perry Shell like knows everybody for a while. Uh, Perry Shell knows everyone, so I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Uh, the other thing, but the thing I wanted to mention that's the good news. I think it's good because he also hasn't been arrested for anything. Uh, R. Crumb's other brother, after the movie, found a career as a painter. All those weird paintings he was showing. Yeah. Turns out people thought they were great. And he now <laughs> lives off of his painting. And he found uh, a woman and he is married. And he, I don't know how happy he is because none of them seem very happy to me. But at least he's not begging on the street, not selling his art. You know what and I mean? So sitting like sitting on Max. Yeah, I, I thought, but Max was like a bona fide creep. I thought he was one of the yeah. ones that went to went to. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I'm. He confused. did go to a hospital though. No, that's too, what I'm saying. He? he went to a hospital. He yeah. got out. He, you know, the movie ends and he's he's on public assistance. He begs with a bowl. He sits right. on nails. Right. He is desperate. Right. Yeah. Uh. Well, a few years after the movie, he started selling his paintings. Now he lives in a in a in a normal house with a wife. Uh, he's still, I think, kind of crazy from the pictures of him. He looks crazier now than he did then. Uh, <laughs> but he makes like six, seven thousand dollars a painting. Like what? he is a well-regarded artist. Good I for would, you, Max. in fact, in the modern world, in the art world at least, his shit's more respected than our crumb. That's wow. insane. It's crazy, right? But like, I, yeah. I basically in my search to find info on the sisters because I was certain there had to be something on them. I found this stuff about Max and. That he's like, I mean, again, this is an article about him talking about his financial well-being and that he has a romantic partner. That doesn't mean he has a shit together. He could be just as crazy as he was. In that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's, that, that stuff doesn't change, right? <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. But at least he's not. I mean, again, in the movie, for people who haven't seen it, he sits on the corner with a, with a wood bowl hoping people put change in the bowl. Like, that's his, that's what he's doing in the movie. So, like. This seems better than that, at least, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. to be to be fair, I've I've lived in California for a minute. I don't know if you guys have lived in California Never. at any point, or Never. if anyone's familiar with it. But that's him living in Berkeley, doing that in the Bay Area. That's not like actually that weird. Oh, is that um, right? Okay, right. okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> he still lives in that area. Not to offend any Bay Area listeners yeah. or any of my friends from the Bay Area, but like, but it's just 
the Berkeley, San Francisco area is interesting in yeah, that respect. Sure. That's no, different from the East Coast and stuff. Yeah. So, well, okay. So this is the documentary, right? It's it starts off trying to just understand his impact on art, uh, trying to understand the history that he has with comics. Then it spends some time exploring some of his more upsetting imagery, right? We talk about his uh, depictions of women, his depictions of race. Um, there's a lot of him sort of like not really saying much about that. You know what I mean? Like he acknowledges it and that it's like dark imagery, but he, you know, it, he's not interested in justifying himself at all. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, we meet some of his love interests who all describe him as a uh, well-endowed weirdo who spent most of his time <laughs> jerking off and not having sex with them. Um, and, and uh, drawing. And all this stuff sort of leads you. So I want each of you to talk about your experience with this documentary. For me on this watch, and to be fair, I'm watching this now after I read his, uh, he has like, it's not quite an autobiography, but it's like his own sort of personal history through his art. And in that, he's very self-eviscerating that he, looking back, feels like, at least at the point where he put this book out, that a lot of his depictions of women were about his fear of sex mm. and that he would take it back, not take it back, but he feels like it wasn't fair what he was doing because at the same time he had left his first wife and he was basically like, as he describes himself, a sex freak. He was just looking for any young girl that would want to like be with him. Now that's interesting since in the documentary, everyone says he's not interested in traditional sex. So I don't know what he was doing with these girls, <laughs> including but, his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, but you know, whatever. Uh, anyways, all that is to say that like on this watch, it was really revelatory to me that the the movie ends not with a bunch of intellectualizing about his impact as an artist or about his treatment of racism or sexism or whatever, but with like how traumatic his family is and how unhealthy they are and how in a compared to at least his brothers, he is maybe the most uh sort of adjusted adjusted of the three of them which says a lot right like suddenly i found myself at the end of the movie thinking we're lucky that all he did was make some offensive pictures like really that's not that bad in the grand scheme of things like 100 percent. it's i I don't know what did you guys think let's start with you pete Uh, you've watched this before obviously you suggested it talk a little about your experience of the movie and 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 how you feel about it you know yeah so i i watched it for the first time, I think when I was in college and um, I had seen his artwork, it was one of those things where like you've seen the artwork all around. I mean, he did like a big brother in the holding company record. Right. So it's like you've seen all these records in like dollar bins and stuff and you've seen the art. But then you put it all together and you're like, oh, this is a guy that's done all these comics that I've seen and all this stuff. And I never read the comics, but I was just familiar with the guy. So. I watched it and it just had a real impact on me just in the way that it felt so honest about the whole thing. Um, And I also liked the idea that, you know, you had women in the movie talking about how his depiction of women made them feel really empowered. Right. Like 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 I, I think it was maybe his first one of his girlfriends or maybe his first wife. I don't remember exactly. But the lady he's talking like, to in the art show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, he drew me as I saw myself and it made me feel great and all this. Right. But then you also have the other side of it where it's like, yeah, he's just like this weird sex freak that's like 
drawing all this crazy shit about women that's like not necessarily helpful or interesting. But like it's all kind of put out there for you. Again, it's it's kind of Lynchian, which again, yeah, the Lynchian connection is he's the producer of this film, which the interesting caveat there is apparently he had nothing to do with this movie. I think he like threw a few bucks at it maybe and just like put his name on it, but he actually like had no say in like what was in the movie or what went on with it. Um, so that's the connection there, but it's Lynchian in the way that you can interpret it any way that you want. Like, but, yeah. but, but I like that it's not giving you a narrative to tell you how to think about it. It's just showing you the different interpretations of the thing. And it's very clear that everyone in this movie is like really fucked up in their own way, but like everybody's fucked up in their own way. And like, you know, like Liam, what you're talking about with the, um, the, 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 you know, the way that he's depicting all of this stuff. It's like, I agree with you in that, like, it could have been much worse, right? Like this guy, like has, he's, he's almost like openly misogynistic. I think he's like, provably like at a certain point in the movie he's like yeah i have a problem with women like i don't know what it is but i'm like dealing with it through my art and like that in and of itself is interesting and weird and i don't know why that's like necessarily a problem but at the same time it's like i'd much rather him i guess deal with that through his art than like become a proud boy right so like yeah so like to me it's like it's it's this it's this interesting thing where it's like dude Art is fucking amazing. It's like to me, right. like, like thinking through it now, I'm just like, art is fucking amazing, man. Like, if you yeah. can do a thing and just put it out there and like not hurt anybody, like, just do that. Like, that's that's amazing. And like, he happened to do it in a way that like impacted comics and impacted art and impacted like he, you know, was involved in all these different kind of subgenres and 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 different things. And uh, he has like a really super identifiable kind of style that I'm sure has impacted things in a big way. And it's like, man, like it doesn't matter. He, you know, it ultimately doesn't matter. I think like what his feelings were on women or black people or whatever, because like the style of the art and the thing itself, like ultimately transcends all of that. Like that, like that doesn't matter in the end. And I hope I'm, I hope I'm articulating myself well. Here. <laughs> no, you've been, you've officially yeah. been canceled, but no, I think, okay. I think I know what you're saying here. And I mean, I will say, I think his depictions of racial stereotypes is just really honest. And he's really like in his head, he's exploring some of the stuff that he kind of absorbed, you know that what he I mean? Saw, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But I also think his relationship to women is so complicated in the sense that he clearly has all this animosity towards women. He's working out in his art. And then all the women he dated are these strong women who dominate him and he can barely yeah. stand up. To, I mean, at least it, 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 that became really clear in his, in, in the last relationship he's in <clears throat> his way to get back at some of these other women seem to be, to be unfaithful or untrustworthy, you know? Um, but I, I think also my reading of the film does get colored by having read, you know, if you, if anyone can find it, he has this log sort of tour through his, art that's not meant to be an autobiography but it kind of functions that way because he talks so much about his life and i think 
at this point, I think that came out in the two thousands. He was a little more adjusted to like who he was, you know, and he really is very honest about how he feels. And and I think that like anyone, he was working through weird stuff and clearly considering the fate of his brothers, I would assume he's working through some trauma too, right? The movie never says Dude, yeah. and that's, that's our mom did this to us or our dad did this about to us. It this just, is a documentary, right? Yeah, like this right. is a documentary about mental health that doesn't address the actual trauma. Right. That's a sentinel <laughs> event that causes all of these ripples in but their it, lives. But it can't, right? It, 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 yeah. it, it, the trauma, whatever it is that happened, and it doesn't have to be one thing. It could be a whole collection of things. But the point is, whatever the thing is that made this impact on them that hurt all of them so badly, the movie can't get there. So it's haunted by this thing the whole time. And that thing is there at the beginning, but you don't know it till you get to the end. And then at the end, you're like, fuck, man. Our crumb is a survivor. He survived yeah. the 70s. You know, he could have burned <laughs> his brain out on LSD. He survived, yeah. you know, not getting stabbed by a drug crazed hippie. You know, all these things. He survived living in poverty in Philadelphia, which a lot of people didn't, you know, probably drinking lead and shit, you know, yeah. and he survived whatever it was that, f- you know, fried really, his really, whole family. Yeah, really made things hard for his brothers. And I don't want to say, you know, like I said, Maxon apparently is doing much better better now than he was in the past but clearly was really struggling and then you know yeah. and charles killed himself and so like clearly there is some pain some wound there and for whatever reason for our crumb that became a source of this creativity which is at times horrifying but as you said pete it shaped an aesthetic for a lot of people and for a lot of people is really important there were lots of other artists that were inspired by him whose careers really flourished because of him. So there is all kinds of positive. I don't, I think part of the issue is the art at the time was about self-expression. So it is possible now to say maybe some of the stuff that came out of him should have landed on the editing room floor that there should have been someone who went, "Ah, we don't need to publish this. We don't need to put all this stuff. You can put this in your sketchbook. We don't need to put this in there, but you know, Everyone was high. Everyone was about do what you feel, man. And everything got published. And so some of that stuff is like, Fucking crazy. It's crazy. It's I support crazy, the use of LSD, like, though. Like I'm going to put yeah. that out there. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, you say? Like, like, I support the use of LSD. Oh, sure. I, think that I know that's, you. Yeah. Psychedelics, go for it there. Yeah. Just saying. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, but I think there's something to like the honesty that comes along with nothing ending up on the, cu- the cutting room floor, right? Like that, that to me is part of what's interesting there because you always wonder, like, you know, what do things look like in their in the original form coming from the artist? Like, mm, I'm sure. sure that it's not great 100% of the time and from stuff isn't great 100% of the time, but it, at least you get a full kind of idea of what he was actually going for, because had it been edited to death, I'm not sure that he would have survived. That's true. You know, the yeah. way that he did. Or the impact yeah. would have been as deep. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's hard. It's hard to know. Um, I'm, I, I, I've read enough beat poets to think that editing can be a good idea, you know? So I don't know that editing in and of itself means a lack of expression. On the other hand, we don't get to know, right? We have what we have. Mm. Some of it is amazing. Some of it is fucking horrifying. I've seen a lot of it because, uh, my stepdad loved his stuff and had Mm. a bunch of his stuff. I still have his illustrated Bible at home. 
which is <laughs> if you want to read something crazy, it, the R. Crumb <laughs> Illustrated Bible is some yeah. shit. Um, book of Genesis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's just the book of Genesis, right? right. Yeah. But still, it's fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it is what it is. And, and so I think what makes the documentary so good is I don't, I mean, first of all, the, the dude barely made this movie. He he yeah. lived in poverty and fear and depression for years trying to get this thing fucking finished. So like good on him for surviving the making of this movie. But also um uh the what makes the movie so good is you don't feel like he's interested in either uh attacking or, or defending yeah. yeah, there's no yeah, judgment. Yeah, yeah. He's just like this is what it is, guys. This is who he is. This is what it's about. The same way that Art Crumb nonchalantly reveals that his brother's probably a pedophile with mm-hmm. like no sense of judgment, just a sense of compassion that he realized this thing about himself and he's never been happy ever since, you know? Mm. And like that, the movie's just like, this is what it is. This is who he is. These are the people that care about him. These are the people who appreciate him, but judge him. You know, these are the people who are in his life. Like the movie's just showing it all to you. And it does it in a way that I think is really fucking compelling. It's just yeah. one of the more well, compelling documentaries I've ever seen. My the my the one thing that I picked up with this movie is that at its beginning, it starts with this almost like jaunty tone, right? Sure, like this, right, like yeah. this, like just like a fun, like little, like almost uh, fluffy, I guess, for lack of a better term, like this joviality. That's like just part of like this. He does comic books. He's the wacky guy. And that tone for our crumb doesn't change from the beginning to the end. And it's the shifting uh, ephemera of the rest of his life, his family and all the other like inspirations that go into his art. That's the stuff that changes. Whereas his tone is still weirdly like smiling Throughout yeah. the entire movie, including the end when he nonchalantly reveals the pedophilia of his brother, or he just is describing that his other brother brother um sits on nails, you know what I mean? Like this kind of stuff. And yeah. that levity is by the end of it, it's ominous. You yeah. know what I mean? And then you realize that that's like a survival mechanism that like 100%. that this dude had yeah. to have in order not to die. Yeah. Like that shit is that's the thing that got captured on film in this movie that I found to be masterful. Right? Dude, because how do you show that? How do you show that without even like having it be an intrusive entity in this telling of this man's life? Yeah. You know what no, I'm saying? I, like I I I feel like every scene with Robert Crumb sitting with his brother Charles Crumb is is so disturbing in the way that or not exist. I mean, sometimes it's disturbing. Sometimes it's just interesting. But like, Charles can be saying the most, like, the darkest stuff. Yeah. The 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 most depressing stuff. The most like disturbing stuff. Whatever it is. Or he's just like responding to his mom, who's like yelling at him from like down the stairs about something, like some benign kind of issue she's having with like the drapes or something. You know, and like Robert Crumb just kind of just laughs at all of it and doesn't really like seem to like be facing what's actually happening to his brother or how his brother's actually feeling. You know, he's just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is too big. Right. So, like, yeah, I totally feel you. That's like that's that's definitely uh, one of the highlights. 
highlight it's, sound it's positive, weird, but it's but it's it's, weird it's, it's very it's very interesting. Yeah, to see how yeah. the guy copes with all these things. Yeah, I, I I I I I'm going back to what you said, Josh. In the end, whether the movie knows it or not. It's a movie about mental illness, right? Like, yeah, for sure. There's there's stuff going on with everyone in the movie, and and um and yet it also then is a movie about art and and expression, and as such, it's a really amazing film, and it's so interesting to think about. Like, it ends with him fleeing the country to France. You know, yeah. like, yeah, whoa, you know, hacking up records. Where he, where he more that? or less like. Dep- like disappeared from the spotlight after that, right? Like, yeah. like he, like, like this was kind of like his last, like, I don't even, I wouldn't even say attempt. Like, it was just like the last kind of bit where he was like in the public at all, where he was right. on this documentary, and then he just kind of disappeared. I think he still does art a little bit, but well, he popped up when the American Splendor movie came out again. Oh, right. And that was when, like, that was when I found it. That was when I found like our crumb. You know what I mean? Like, because. Sure. Yeah. Cause I loved American Splendor and I love the movie and I love Paul Giamatti in that movie. Giamatti's awesome. In that. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great film, you know? And like, but that's when I had to do the whole like backwards dive and be like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, let's find out about our crumb. Yeah. And it's weird how it's tied into like my love of that, like Delta blues stuff. You know what I mean? Like all sure. that, like, yeah, 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 which yeah. is in the movie, but it's also like, it's more in um, the Harvey P car movie. Right. In American yeah. Splendor. But it's just weird how that's all tied together and how it shows up in Ghost World too, which is really great. Well, the the I want to get back to how we started way, way, way back, which was like the themes here. Like, again, David Lynch had almost nothing to do with this movie other than his name being on it and, you know, giving some money. But it's still one a of weirdly his central, Lynchian movie. Yeah. Well, one of his central thesis is right. Like, think about Blue Velvet. Think about, um, and, you know almost all of his films that there's this surface to America, whether America is commerce or the family or Mm -hmm. Hollywood, small town, think about Twin Peaks, small town America. There's this sheen. And then underneath that is like rot is dirt is, you know, it's like when the, when he goes into the grass and you see all the the critters, you know, Mm. that there's something underneath. And then this movie, though it is just a movie about a cartoonist, is also at a sense about that, that there's something, something happened below the surface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some trauma there, that permeates the entire movie that is never addressed. And how right. many families from that part of Philadelphia, from that time period who were whatever it was dealing with the same traumas, breathing in the same air, drinking the same uh, lead infused water, whatever the fuck it was, right? How many other families are also horror shows? I bet you yeah. more than a few. I bet you more, more than, than a few. One or two. They just, yeah, they just don't, sure. they just don't have a famous cartoonist in their family. And right. so we don't see a documentary about them, but I bet like, I bet what's going on in his family is not, Oh, these freaks are so different. It's like, this is a thing that happened all over America, actually. Yeah. We just have one guy who stood out that is like one expression of that experience. And so, like, in that way, I was like, oh shit, these movies go together really fucking well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did. Well picked. Well picked, Pete. Well done. Hey, hey, oh, I Pete, did my best. Pete, you should you should <laughs> seriously write things for Cinepunks. You know a lot about movies. You have a lot to say about movies. I just think 
You are part. You're, you're as far as I'm concerned. You're part of the team, whether you like yeah, it or not. Yeah, man. And hey, you were man. in Kamikaze, no, which is Thank one of my you. favorite bands. So hell yeah, you know, just saying. No. Thanks, guys. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing in search of tracks, uh, especially when you cover records that I care about. That's my favorite part. <laughs> but you know, I'll listen to the ones I don't care about. But when you cover stuff that I'm like, ooh, even though I'll tell you what, a hard one for me was the Sex Pistols one because you guys were so bummed. Uh, on it like you were like the riffs are good but oh, the you record love it is, well here's the thing i don't but i do so okay. here on one hand <laughs> perfectly an answer because I'm, I'm, here's here's why <laughs> i the first three cds i bought ever of all like ever cds never mind the bullocks was one of the cds okay of the other two one was green day the other was offspring the only one I still listen to is Never by the Bullocks. So it <laughs> sticks with me. But oh, when I'll he, listen to Green Day over Sex Pistols any day. Yeah, no, thank any you. day. That's any that's day. kill myself music. But no. um but I'll tell you what, when you guys were like, there's maybe four good songs, I'm like, yeah, that's actually fair though. Even though I could put the whole record on and hum along, I don't think it has I I'm in a weird space where I was like, these guys are being disrespectful to Nevermind the Bullocks. <laughs> On the other hand, people I know who love it, I'm like, do you really love it though? It's not really a record you can love. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm like kind of in the middle. I think it's an overrated record, but it was so important to me when I first got into punk that like some of the songs I, and, and you'll remember you guys mentioned this on the show. I also really liked the TV show. I thought the TV show was great. I really had fun with oh, it. Yeah. I thought it was fun too. I liked it. I, 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 when I first watched the first episode, I hated it immediately. It was just like this knee jerk reaction. Sure. But like by the third episode, I was, I was in, I liked well, it. And I liked it because I don't think it ever created the illusion that these people were like, uh, good people, anarchist masterminds. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. people are like, they were trying to take the system down. I'm like, eh. one guy thought he might be able to do something meaningful and right. he was a he was a thief and a liar so you know yeah. whatever intentions malcolm mclaren had of changing the world he clearly didn't care about it as much as he cared about other things like money and his image <laughs> so like you know whatever i i just like i like him i liked it because this is what it was out to for me with the sex pistols i care about the story more than the music the music has a few good songs but nothing as amazing like you know, I'll take the first Cox Bar record over the Sex Pistols any day. In fact, here's the where I'm very different from you and Bob. I'll take a number of crass songs over the Sex Pistols any day. I no like I, I that the you know uh that that skinhead in in my freshman journalism class, crass is one of the tapes he made me and uh it got me into punk. Now I will say he cheated and made me a tape that was only the fast grass songs. <laughs> so like, I thought all those grass songs were pretty upbeat and it was only when I actually bought the records later. I was like, ah, oh, there's a lot of shit out here. I don't like, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. It was I mean, not that's, fair. that's a good cheat code, I guess, you know, I mean, he, he knew what I would get into, you know, but I mean, yeah. to be he fair, did the Lord's work. So to, to be fair, that same year yeah. I got blood, sweat, and no tears. So, I, mm. you know, I'm not going to pretend it was all crass all the time, you know, right, better right, than the right, sex right. pistols and grass. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I, I'll agree with that. Okay. Uh, hey, Pete, uh, plug plug your podcast directly so that people, the one or two people who listen to us who don't know who you are, can uh, can check out the podcast. Uh, no, thank you. Um, definitely check out In Search of Tracks podcast. Uh, 
Instagram is trackspod. The Twitter is track at trackspod. And uh, you can write us emails at trackspod at gmail.com. And uh, you should check it out. It's fun. We talk about music. If you like music, you should check it. Regardless why, of genre, you know. I don't know why anyone would listen to this show if they liked music. That's crazy. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you gave me cred earlier on, which I like kind of joked about. You were like, yeah, they talk about music on this podcast, but Pete did it first. Pete came up with the idea. I was like, yeah, that was my original idea. <laughs> I talking was, about, I talking about music joking. on a podcast. I was definitely <laughs> joking. Yeah, I mean, I, but it, it, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll uh, take the credit. Listen, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're. I mean, let's just say you guys do it better. I mean, <laughs> do you, do you guys even like any music podcasts? Like, you know what I mean. Like, I listen to you guys, and I listen to like a couple of like like shows like Astagrind that are about music, but they're not mm. about music, you know. But like, I don't know that there's a whole repertoire of podcasts where I'm like, oh, I'm listening to a music critic discuss music critically. Yeah, true. That I, sounds I, boring to me for the most part. Like I used to listen to the New York Times podcast because I actually like keeping up on like oh sure like contemporary yeah, 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 yeah. music, and and I thought that uh, I forget the host name, but I I thought that he was pretty good sometimes. Um, but I haven't listened to that in a while. And then I like Song Exploder. You listen to Song Exploder? That's oh, like I've my, heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's like my problem too. with Song Exploder. For some reason, I only get stoked on it when um I'm into the song, and I don't mean. Mm. That sounds wrong. I, I don't have to like the song, but like eat, when I listen to one where I don't like this, uh, like I'm not a fan of the song, I have to think it's interesting. You know what I mean? Like mm. sometimes he does things and I'm like, I don't know what that is and I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. But he's mm. done some that like, like I used to listen to it pretty regularly. I used to listen to a lot more podcasts than I do now. Um, but when I was listening to a lot of podcasts, I would listen to it pretty regularly. But if it was something where immediately I thought, artist talking was boring i just would not finish the episode like i just mm. you know i just couldn't care but he's sure. done it for sh- songs i don't like but they get so in depth that i end up getting sucked in you know yeah um, fair enough yeah i wish there was a song exploder that was like music i like but i don't think it would be that interesting because it'd just be some guy like i don't know we we, we jammed do this it four a times. times yeah no, yeah <laughs> we jammed it a couple know. times in my garage, and then we. My paid. favorite episode is the <laughs> Johan Johansson one, where he talks about the soundtrack to uh, Arrival. Oh, it's all sure, acoustic sure. drums that yeah, he that sequenced. Was good. So yeah. cool. Dude, Johan Johansson was a was a was a motherfucker, man. Yeah, man, one of my favorite artists of all time. Me and Melani saw him at the St. Mary's Church on the Fourth Landia tour, and wow. uh, he had a three three sixty degree projection of footage wow. from Fordlandia while a. Uh, uh, chamber choir or chamber orchestra played in the middle of the church dude that it's record incredible. is something else man it's wonderful so yeah. so good but anyway i was gonna say we should probably <laughs> end this episode yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, thank no, you for we're, coming we're, on we're gonna start talking about johan johansson i'm done i'm not i'm I not in about johansson yeah thank dude. you guys for having me this is a lot of fun yo thanks, thanks for, for coming, coming on. on the show come on the show again we love yeah, talking please. to you this is super fun I'd be happy yeah, to yeah 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 i I knew that you would be in the movies, but like this has been very, very, very fun. Um, we also, of course, want to thank everyone for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. You know, wherever you listen to us, there's there's probably a rating system. Give us a give us a lot of stars. Give us all the stars. <laughs> or tell a friend only. and give no stars. Give no stars, but tell a homie and we'll yeah. Count tell it. a friend. How about that? Buy a yeah. t-shirt on the website. We got t-shirts, <laughs> motherfuckers. Buy one. Good ones. That's all I got. All right. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again later. Bye-bye. Smoke bomb.
you like spooky movies, hair-raising tales, insightful criticism, judgmental hot takes, then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Donald. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.